Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily on a frigid Thursday afternoon here in Peg City as the Jets come back from their road trip 1-3 and three after a uh, tough loss to the New York Islanders last night. We're going to be all over it. We'll hear from a little post-game from Rick Bonus and Adam Lowry. And we've got a great group of guests today. Uh, of course, trade deadline coming up next week on Friday. Lots going on around the league. couple deals made yesterday. We'll find out more about that as well as what the pulse of the league is with Dave Pagnotta from the fourth period. Brandon Rewicki of Skates and Plates will jump on and talk Jets. And a little later on, really interesting conversation coming up with Travis Yost, TSN hockey columnist, on the disparity between the East and the West, the brilliance of Connor Hellebuck, and Travis's thoughts on where the Winnipeg Jets are right now with just eight days to go before the deadline. Great to have you all with us. Huge shout out to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day starting with our friends at Princess Auto and Cool Bet Canada, Little Brown Jug, Vita Health Fresh Market, Wallace & Wallace, Culligan Water, Canadian Club, Consolidated Supply, F Apparel, Manitoba Battery, the Nick & Nicky DQ Group, Boston Pizza, Royal Sports. We'll get to a why not question of the day for the gang on Down at Not Auto Corp at Waverly and McGillivray. Let's get Michael Remus in here. And uh, Remo, what's up? Stress levels are high amongst the Jets nation after another tough regulation loss last night on Long Island. Yeah, great to be here. Nice to be warm. It is cold. It is cold oh, out there. It's, huh? it's got to so pl- plug the car in. Um, you know, it's so cold. My son is asking Alexa, like, what to confirm the wind chill here. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm with the Jets. Like, I think it's disappointing that they lost. I don't think the process was horrible. I think the results not ideal going one and three on a road trip not ideal scoring four goals in your three losses not ideal but I think it's pretty clear after this game what their issues have been lately and it's going to be up to Kevin Sheveldayoff to address those issues heading into the trade deadline and this is like you know if the Jets were a reality TV show which I think of them as one this is a pretty key point in the season uh, the NHL season and the TV series season where you know, you're going to decide how how it's going to go for the rest of it when we see what they do at the deadline. So pretty clear, like mid, I don't know if it's a mid-season finale here as we get get to the deadline, but um, pretty, I think it's going to be a pretty uh, defining moment coming up. But I'm not, I saw a lot of people on the, you know, I saw a lot of people on, on Kenny and Randy in the postgame, sorry to keep going here, Husk, really down on the Jets, but I think, look, they're second in the division. Um, they're firmly in a playoff spot. You know, they've they played pretty well, and there's an opportunity here with the you know poor Western Conference that they can take advantage of. You have the best goalie in the league. Like you just haven't they've been, you know, with the they're 32 and 2 when scoring three goals, and we're gonna get more into this, but gotta figure out a way to get more goals. And maybe the some deadline acquisitions will help it. So I'm not on the trade everyone. This team is going nowhere train. Uh, I'm actually more optimistic after that one. I don't know about you. Well, my nerves are frayed, and I think a lot of people are in that same boat. Um, Listen, the Jets have earned themselves a pretty nice spot in the standings. They've won games that they've had to win. They've taken advantage of some of the lesser lights in the Western Conference, and that's helped prop up the record. But this last month has been really concerning, 
and listen, I know it's an 82-game season. I mean, there are ups and downs. There's peaks and valleys. But it doesn't seem like this team has a lot of answers right now for, I mean, listen, the New York Ranger game was wild. I mean, the Rangers were all over them, and Connor Hellebuck stood up and stole two points. But that's all that this team has to show for this road trip. And, you know, the third period of the game last night, I mean, we can talk about the two goals that went in. Um, you know, I mean, the back pass by Mason Appleton creating that two-on-one. Nikolai Ehlers skating back, getting there, and it going right between his legs going in. I mean, that was unfortunate. But again, Rick Bonus will tell you, self-inflicted, puck management. Uh, and, I mean, the rookie on the Islanders that scored what was his fourth goal of his career with pretty much a bunch of guys watching him, roofing it past Connor Hellebuck was concerning. Top teams don't allow those sort of chances. And, you know, the Winnipeg Jets have unfortunately done that more often than not lately. But the inability to really create, um, you know, legit scoring chances when they were down in the third period was uh, was tough. I mean, that last seven minutes, credit to the New York Islanders for being as you know relentless as they were on the forecheck. I mean, the Jets, never mind getting into the Islanders' zone, the Jets were having a tough time breaking out of their own end for a good portion of that time when, you know, they needed to be putting the foot on the gas and creating some great A's against uh, Ilya Sorokin. Um, I, we've talked about this before, and I've been, you know, very confident, hey, this team's a playoff team, look at where they are right now, we'll see how things finish. And I think still, obviously, I mean, the numbers say that they will be, but, man, there's just six points between the Calgary Flames and the Jets right now. And, again, only one of these nine teams is going to miss the playoffs. So the chances are really well, are, are really good. But then I look ahead to what's coming up for the Winnipeg Jets over the course of this next month. They're call it 11 games. You've got the Avalanche, who are on a roll right now, coming into town tomorrow night. Then these same New York Islanders, a desperate Islanders team that needs every single point on the table right now if they're going to be a playoff team coming up on Sunday afternoon. Then the LA Kings, another playoff team in the Western Conference, a strange team, though. I mean, I was just looking when I was doing the lock shop with Dusty. I mean, they've got a plus two goal differential. So, I mean, a game that, you know, one of those games that you sort of have to have. And then you get into March. Trade deadline day on the third in Edmonton begins a back-to-back against Connor McDavid and the Oilers. You get a home game against San Jose, one of the few non-playoff teams the Jets are going to see for a while. Massive home game against the Wild, and then a road trip to Florida, to Tampa, to Carolina, and then coming back against the Boston Bruins. I mean, there is going to be some heavy lifting, some real big challenges for this team going forward, beginning on Friday night. And there's a lot of things that need to get better and get back to where they were for Rick Bonus's club, both in defensive structure, puck management, but also, Remo, as you kind of laid out, the goal scoring has dried up. And that is not something we've normally associated with the Winnipeg Jets. They've been able to score goals. It's been kind of their own end that's been more of a concern. Well, there's concerns slipping in on both sides of things. And, you know, the bottom six has been a black hole when it comes to goal scoring. It puts a lot on the shoulders of those top players that are getting the majority of the ice time. Puts a lot of pressure on the power play. Uh, and right now, um, they got to find their way in a number of ways. And I'm not sure that we can put it all on the shoulders of the general manager. I mean, look, would it be a game changer to get a player like Timo Meyer? Yeah, absolutely. Is that possible? We'll see. What is the cost? 
maybe there's a multiple ads at a lower cost coming in. But I'll tell you what, there is, uh, there's a lot of work to do for everybody involved in the Winnipeg Jet organization. I think this last road trip was uh, a glaring example of everything on the list. Yeah, 34, uh, 34 goals, Hess, in the last 14 games. That's an average of 2.4. You look on their season, that well below their season average. You, know, you think of the way the Jets have played, um, 3.1 is their average goals per game. And we know when they score three which doesn't seem like a, a pretty high number, Huss, um, at three goals that they do they do win. You, know, you mentioned scoring, and you know I think we should play these clips from Adam Lowry, but um, I think the kind of the way he's gone, the Jets' season has gone. And you look at his numbers, I'll give you his splits. October, he had six points in nine games. November, six points in 12 games. Uh, December, uh, nine points in 16 games. So in the first three months of the year... Um, you know, he had some pretty, some pretty, you know, solid he had a numbers. Great start. He was on pace to mm-hmm. beat his career high for goals. Mm-hmm. Was scoring, and um, you know, he's a perfect example of the bottom six overall. Kind of the leader of that bottom six. Um, what is it? Thirty-one games now. He has scored a goal. Yeah, just uh, Mike McIntyre wrote it with the goal scoring droughts from the bottom six here, uh, or sorry, you know. Uh, a couple of them, at least. Adam Lowry in 30, hasn't scored in 31 games. Saku Menelainen in 18. Barron in 16. So back to these Adam Lowry splits that I found so interesting. Shout out to um, Hockey Reference. You can go and find a player and click on splits and choose the year, and it'll give you some, some really nice breakdowns. Look at him in January. He has three points in 15 games. Uh, and then in February, he's got one point in six games. But more interesting to me, to me I mean, in the Jets' wins... Um, he's got, what, 19 points and 35 and um, 5 points and 32. And why am I highlighting Adam Lowry? It's because he spoke after the game. But you can see that when he's scoring, the Jets are winning. Sorry, when the Jets are scoring three goals in a game, they're winning. And when they're scoring three goals, they're getting contributions from the bottom six. And they haven't got that from the bottom six lately. As you mentioned, they haven't had a goal in February. And, yet, and, um, and sorry, and then you have Nikolai Ehlers hasn't scored in 10 games. So no one... No, you're not really getting any goals from anyone. And I think, you know, they should go and try to get some help. But they also need these guys to step up and play like they were playing uh, earlier on in the season. Yeah, no, I mean, and listen, and the one good thing that came out of last night's game was that Nikolai Ehlers got off the schneid. And uh, for everyone that rode with me on that plus 250 goal prop, at least we got something out of last night. Um, but yeah, let, let's hear from post game. Before we get to Lowry, let's hear from Bones because uh, you know I kind of talked a little bit about what Rick Bonus had to say after the Jersey game, after New York, and how it sounded a little different. And I think in some ways the team's sort of at a at a real crossroads. One of the most stressful times of the year for players, certainly for the guys in that room that haven't been able to score in a long time. And we'll just start it off with six through ten, Remo. And here is a, a quick synopsis about Bones's thoughts on last night's loss to the Islanders. Too many missed scoring opportunities around their net. To start with that. Um, and a couple of mistakes by us with the uh, with poor puck decisions and ended up in the back of our net. Uh, pretty uh, pretty succinct. Um, and man, first period, Reem. I mean, Blake Wheeler getting that one in between uh, Sorokin and the net, but just going along the goal line. Kyle Connor on that first shot, ripping it off the post. I mean, you can't hang it on those guys. But as Rick Bonus said, they did have some looks. 
but much like teams playing against Winnipeg going up against all-star goaltending, you got to make the most of those opportunities, and the Jets weren't able to do it. Now, the shots against were far, it was, was far down, about half of what they were against the New York Islanders, which was a positive. Uh, and Bones talked a little bit about what he thought about the defensive play of the team overall last night for 60. Yeah, we were fine. I mean, they didn't, we didn't give up much. But um, so that's defensively, we were far better tonight. Um, so I, that didn't hurt us. It was the puck decisions that ended up in the back of our net and the missed opportunities around their net. Yeah, I mean, Rick Bonus have talked about puck decisions, puck management, and I mean, that was a direct result and, you know, basically led to two goals against. Um, but it does come back to you can't win in the National Hockey League if you can't score, and the Jets have had a real tough time scoring. Bones uh, lamented the lack of scoring by his hockey club last night after the game. Well, we need more from the bottom six, there's no question. So we just keep getting them out there, and eventually uh, they work hard, they generate things. They can't pass up any opportunities to shoot the puck, which I thought we did tonight a few times. But they, they're working, they're banging around the net. It's just not going in for them right now. Yeah. Rick, when you see guys going through a dry spell, how do you find that fine line between having the urgency but also not squeezing the stick too tightly? No, well, they, listen, they got to play through it. I mean, that's, the, that's what you do. Uh, you, you're not going to get, you're not going to score being tentative. You just, you got to put more pucks in the net. You got to, it goes back to trying to get a greasy goal. Just get in there. I thought in the second period they were in, while banging around the puck, it just wouldn't go in. They had the opportunities. It just didn't go in for them. All right, there's a little bit more from uh, from Bones on uh, last night's game and the lack of scoring. I mean, the one thing that has come around a little bit lately was the power play, and again, Nikolai Ehlers got on the board last night, which was a real positive after a 10-game goalless drought for number 27. Uh, Bones talked about what he saw from the Jets' power play last night. I didn't like the last couple. I, I think um, we got to, listen, we had two power plays in the third period. We didn't generate enough shots. We're passing it around now. They're the number one penalty-killing team in the league at home, and they've got an outstanding goalie. Um, but that doesn't mean you pass it around and pass it around. you just you got to get more shots. It's as simple as that. All right, and um, as I mentioned, Deb, you know, the positive, Nikolai Ehlers scored on the power play and tied that game up in the second period. Um, the negative was, I mean, two really subpar power plays with the game on the line trailing in that third period that Bones just mentioned. One more clip from Rick before we hear from Adam Lowry and uh, Bones was simply asked um, if he thinks they can turn this around. Absolutely. I believe in this team. We're going to be, we'll find, we'll play our three ourselves through this. We got the most important game of the year coming home on Friday night and that's the focal point right now. And six of the next seven will be at home. Yep. Uh, is that a good thing in your well, books? We'll worry about Friday night. Yeah, yeah can't uh, can't get too far ahead past Friday. But the Winnipeg Jets with 20 wins on home ice so far this year uh, hopefully can get back to their winning ways when they come back. All right, let's get to Adam Lowry because Rick Bonus lamented, um, you know, a lack of bottom six scoring. And when Adam Lowry was asked about the game and about the result, um somewhat looked squarely in the mirror uh, at himself and the other guys outside of the top two lines that just have not been able to score lately? Uh, I mean, probably some of it has to do with secondary scoring. I mean, it, it's been a while since I think me, Bear, Cooley, you know, a few other guys have 
found the back of the net, and you know sometimes that's the difference where you know you, you can't rely on your your big guns to score three four every night. So um, you know we, we got to start carrying the load a little bit and you know, take a little ownership on that. I think you know we, we had some chances, but that's that's the difference. They, they get a you know goal from the bottom six, and we don't tonight. Uh, Adam Lowry, uh, you know, mentioning really what that was the difference in this game. I mean, Islanders got one uh, from their bottom six, and uh, the Jets, which has been far too often the case lately, uh, nothing to show for um, their third and fourth lines. Here's a little bit more from Adam Lowry on uh, the scoring drought. It's one of those things kind of sometimes you, you get away from the things that were making you successful earlier on, and, you know, there are little adjustments that you might not even notice. You know, sometimes you got to go back and watch you know, some clips from – earlier in the year just to see what you were doing and try and get back to and you know, just kind of getting on the same page with your line mates I think you know, for our line tonight did we at least generated some chances it was a little better than you know the D zone we played uh, the whole night to, against the Rangers so um, but yeah you, you know like coming down the stretcher we know the games are going to be tight uh, you know the margin for error is, is so slim and you know you I don't think we, we made a whole lot of mistakes tonight and you know, but neither did they. It's 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 tough to, to create offense out there. You know, two great goal th- goalies and two teams that are pretty committed to defense. So um, you know, it's just finding ways to get some of those greasy ones and you know, generate some momentum for your team. Adam Lowry with a little bit more on um, the uh, issues that Winnipeg Jets are having scoring goals right now, which is a big part of this. Uh, slump and, and the one thing I'll say Reem, you know we often you know we've talked about one player Adam Lowry's been the guy for the last 10 games or so we've been talking and it's been a, been a long time um half the team seems to be uh, running around with a big monkey on their back right now you mentioned Ehlers getting it off his back I think a lot of them you know have had trouble scoring Pierre-Luc Dubois has seen a bit of a drop-off since that first half of the season so um you know we can Dump on the bottom six. I think the top, you know, the top, and especially the power play. I mean, you look at that game against Columbus. Certainly a winnable game. You had a number of power plays, five, five on threes, threes. Five, jinx, and we couldn't score. And then, um, sorry, I had to throw that jinx in. Um, especially last night, two third period power plays. Uh, good teams put that away, and the Jets were doing that earlier in the season. They're not doing it now. And I, I did look up. You know, I saw a tweet um, online about the Penguins, you know, third line, how poor it's been. And I said to you, jokingly, because the Jets' third line matched this eight points since January 1. Um, they were they were slightly better. You I mean, since January 1, um, Lowry's got four assists. Uh, Menelainen's got two assists. Appleton's got two assists. Denland, you know, two points. Who else am I getting? Or Kuhlman's got two goals. So not really getting a whole lot. And the most interesting part to me has since January 1... The bottom six player who's got the most points just got waived and was on the moose. Axel Janssen Fjallby. And you look at his rate stats per 60 minutes since January 1. He's actually been more efficient in scoring goals or, re- sorry, recording points than Dubois, Perfetti, and uh, Josh Morrissey in all situations. Um, so when a- Axel is, you know, in limited ice time, nine minutes per game, he's actually performing. Pretty well, and I wonder if he gets in now on Friday. And I'm shocked that uh, I'm learning about this for the first time, how good he's been relative. Not how good. I mean, it's one more point than the rest of the line, but he hasn't played 
a whole lot of minutes. So yeah, um, well, the bar's been set relatively low. Pretty but low. I mean, I mentioned this yesterday on the program. I thought that you know it might have been a perfect time to get him right back into the lineup, considering the way that he played with the Manitoba Moose. He scored three goals in four games. I think would have had a real jump getting an opportunity, but obviously that didn't come last night. And um, anybody that can maybe help a little bit offensively right now in the bottom six, not necessarily that Axel's the answer to all the problems, but they got to find something. Uh, the standings are tight right now. Calgary won against Arizona in a bizarre game. I think the final shots was 51-14 or something like that. At one point, they were out shooting them by 30 and were down 3-1, to one, but the dam of Carl Vemelka did finally break. Um, but here's just one more from Lowry on watching the standings and what's happening both in the Central Division and in the Western Conference. Um, yeah, I, I think you're or we're aware of kind of where we stand, the opportunities we have, um, you know, how, how tight it is from kind of one through eight, really. Um, it, it's important you don't get lost on, you know, just focusing on, you know, the results. You, know, you kind of, like I was asked earlier with the processes, you know, make sure that, you know, the, the wins you are getting are, you know, conducive to winning. You know, you can't give up 50 shots like we did against the Rangers and expect to win every night, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, I think we, we know there, there's an opportunity to, to win the division and, you know, challenge for the conference. It's you know, Our goal is to finish as high as you can. You want to get home ice as long as you can in the playoffs. So, um, we'll, you know, it's important we, we get back, use this homestand coming up and give ourselves that, that opportunity to, to keep climbing in the standings. All right, so there's a little bit more from uh, Adam Lowry. And, you know, we're going to talk about some of the trade markets, rumors, and whatnot happening around the league with Dave Padnotta of the fourth period coming up right now, Reem. But I have to admit, I sort of finished up that game, and I was, you know, talking with some buddies that I was watching the game with and going, I mean, if you're Chevel Day off right now and you're looking at the big picture, you know, we've talked a lot about one big guy like a Timo Meyer to come in. I'm not sure that, you know, Chevel Day off's not thinking about bringing in multiple players, maybe not at the level of a top-line forward, but to supplement this group that has gone just so ice cold? Or would that be an overreaction? You know, over the course of the season, these things will happen. Is it all happening at a bad time for Winnipeg? And you still do need to focus on what can give your team the best chance to win over the course of the entire playoffs, which would probably be an impact player like the Myers that we've heard so much about that are in high demand amongst many, many teams around the league. Yeah, I think a lot depends on Cole Perfetti. They, uh, Ken finished up asking for an update. They really didn't have any. We know that he's on IR with an upper body injury. And if you're missing him, I think you have to replace his scoring. And you probably need... Um, you know, one or two other guys you like to get one guy who's top six cable. And this is kind of, you know, I wouldn't say last dance, but you're winding it down with this core group. Um, you know, heading into the offseason, Pierre-Luc Dubois is an RFA. We think he's probably, uh, you know, doesn't want to be here long term. Uh, Mark Shifley is entering final year. Connor Hellebuck, Blake Wheeler as well. So you got to decide what are you going to do with this group? Are you going to try to push and go for it this year and maybe try to get some back some of the assets in the off season, or I don't think they're like they're in a playoff spot. I don't think they're pulling pulling the plug. Like there's, and you you look at money puck and Dom's projections. You're at ninety percent playing the play in the playoff. You know, sorry, ninety percent to make the playoff. Um, so I do think you got to make some additions, try to get some scoring help, and you hope that your guys can go back to playing they were in the first half. But I am seeing people online has getting some major twenty nineteen 
vibes here with this second half off. And look, the season's not over. You got a whole month left, some April too. So we'll have to wait and you know wait and see what happens before we can write the book on the season. But um, I think some people are heading towards a bit of a bit of doom and gloom. It's funny you mentioned 2019 because I'd be lying if I didn't say I was maybe going to go back and check those you know these periods in the second half of the season where the Jets have really struggled and um, compare it to what's happening right now. Lots of hockey left. Avalanche in town tomorrow, and we're going to get to the trade deadline and everything happening around the league right now with Dave Pagnotta. But in the chat, let's get to the why not question of the day. Are you looking for one big fish right now, Jets fans, or do you think Kevin Shoveldayoff should? basically double down and acquire multiple players that could play in the middle six and bottom six to help the scoring drought that um, this team's going through. We'll get to Dave Padnotta in just a minute. Uh, it's freezing outside. No surprise. We'll get a little nicer on the weekend. Uh, but folks, if you need a battery for your car, your truck, or even that summer toy you're working on, Manitoba Battery is the most convenient and well-priced option in the city. You can put that order in for the battery at lunchtime today and have it sitting on your doorstep in two to four hours for less money than you'd spend anywhere else in Winnipeg on the same battery. Manitoba Battery, in a lot of ways, the uh, local option as the Amazon of batteries here in Manitoba. Uh, no fighting for a parking spot at Costco, waiting in line at Canadian Tire, or spending more money on a battery at the big box stores. Let Manitoba Battery bring the battery to you while you spend time on more important things. Give them a phone call or order online at manitobabattery.com. It's that simple. Let Manitoba Battery simplify your life. Uh, well, we can look ahead to golf season, being outside, and I know Joe Spicy and the gang down at Consolidated Supply are doing exactly that already getting ready for golf season with uh, irrigation options, artificial turf and more for courses, but also for people on their own properties, not to mention the club car dealer in Manitoba. And if you're thinking about a project to beautify the backyard and get more out of it, talk to the gang down at Consolidated Supply about beautiful outdoor kitchen options, as well as spas and hot tubs. Pop down and see them at 1395 Niaqua Road East. They are open to the public, and you can also check out their website online at cte.ca. Congratulations to our January winner of the Wallace and Wallace Winnipeg Sports Talk Unsung Hero Program. We're still welcoming in nominations for our February Unsung Hero. Tell us about that person in the community making a difference through charity work, volunteering, uh, and more. And uh, the winner of the Unsung Hero will get an autographed jersey from Josh Morrissey. And the Winnipeg Sports Talk listener who nominates the Unsung Hero will have a $500 donation made in their name to the Dream Factory by Wallace and & Wallace. And Josh and Margo Morrissey will match that $500 as well. Again... The email address to nominate that community unsung hero, send it in today, is unsunghero at winnipegsportstalk.com. And just before we bring in Dave, if you're looking for great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries, get on down and shop local at one of seven Vita Health Fresh Market stores, family-owned and operated since 1936 with Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products. Don't forget February's Heart, Heart Month. It's crucial to support this vital organ with omega-3 fatty acids. We can't always get enough in our diet, so supplement with RX Omega-3 fish oil by Natural Factors, helping support cardiovascular health, cognitive function, eye health, 
joint pain and flexibility, and it happens to be on sale today at Vita Health. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and online at myvita.ca. All right, let's uh, take a little trip around the league a week before the trade deadline with one of our go-to guys, Dave Pagnotta, of the fourth period. Dave, what's going on? How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good now that uh, this is working. It it snowed a ton over here uh, overnight, so had to deal with that garbage this morning, but it's winter, so what are you going to do? No doubt about it. Remar, are you getting that feedback at all? Oh, no. I, I know what that is. I'll fix that for you. Sorry okay, perfect, perfect. Um, Dave, hey, just before we talk about everything going on around, and yes, I know, by the way, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned the snow that you're getting. Thoughts right. and prayers to our pals, Mike McIntyre and Ken Weeb. I was just texting with the guys. They're, of course, Uh-oh. in New York City, coming back to Winnipeg today. They can't go through Toronto. They can't go through Minneapolis. Going through Phoenix, the convenient oh. New York City, Phoenix, Winnipeg run. I think the guys will get back just in time for the game tomorrow. Ken will join us, though. We'll probably have to hook up with him in the morning and do that. Uh, but just, hey, before we get to... Uh, uh, everything happening around the league. Um, you and the fellas were down in uh, Carolina for the stadium series on the weekend, weren't you? Man, that yeah. looked amazing on TV. I mean, you were there interested just to hear what it was about. It seemed like it was a very, very cool event for that area. And uh, certainly as far as stadium series goes, one of the best we've seen yet. Yeah, yeah they put on a hell of a show. The production there was great. Um, the optics were fantastic. It came across really well on television. Uh, and it, it was it was a fun event. They, the fanfare they had two separate fanfares set up. They had one in downtown Raleigh, the day before the game, and then the day of the game they had it right outside in the parking lot outside the field. So when everybody was basically tailgating and um, well boozing up pretty early because they opened up the area at about two o'clock, uh, the fanfare was fantastic. They had bands playing. They had all kinds of different activations and fun stuff for everybody to do and partake in and then the game itself was was pretty cool and the atmosphere there was was really cool too so uh, kudos to the league uh on on this one these are these are starting to become a little bit more centralized and localized for these for for the local markets but uh, i've been to a bunch of these stadium series games already and um they this one was fantastic the one in last season in nashville was great uh as well but this one just had a different kind of vibe to it i think because of the tailgating and um, the, the college stadium atmosphere it was it was just a really cool one. Well, and of course you got to see one of the best teams in the National Hockey League in the uh, yeah. Carolina Hurricanes. And listen, the Jets have just come back from the East, one and three on the road. We were talking, and we've got a bit with Travis Yost coming up later on on just the discrepancy between the East and the West right now. And I, I'm interested in your thoughts before we talk about some specific teams and spots around the league in. Yeah. The trade market in general right now, I mean, we obviously saw the Islanders make that move early. The Rangers have made that move early. The Leafs have made a move now. Um, not as much has been happening in the West. What do you make of the difference in the aggre- the early aggression of GMs in the East compared to their counterparts in the West in a much weaker division, um, but everything's so close and not one team even close to kind of pulling away from the rest of their competition? Yeah, and that's exactly it. I think that some of these teams in the East are trying to do that. They're trying to get um, some additional assets and weapons and trying to one-up their other their other counterparts. Like Carolina, we just talked about, like they're they're in the thick of things for Timo Meyer, And we know, we know New Jersey is as well. So, you know, they're battling it out in that regard. 
What's going to happen with Patrick Kane? Is he going to the Rangers? Are they going to be able to finagle the cap and make this work? Like these teams are just trying to one up each other in terms of trying to make some types of additions. Whereas in the West, the sense that I've been getting for the most part is because it's so wide open, like it's, it's almost anybody's, anybody's guess. If you guys, if you get hot at a certain point, regardless of what team it is, like you could do some damage and you can go on a bit of a run. So I think it's kind of like, there's, there, it's not so much hesitancy on the teams in the West. Cause I know Dallas would like to add, uh, certainly the Kings continue to look for somebody on that back end. Vegas is wide open, trying to make some additions because of their cap space. Uh, Seattle put Chris Drieger on, on waivers earlier today. Uh, they're looking to free up a little bit of money to, to potentially make some moves too. And so on and so on. And the jets and everybody. So uh, it, it just seems like they're the teams in the East are just being more aggressive simply because they're trying to get one up on, or trying to trying to one up one another and create a little bit of, of space between the top tier and the rest of the pack. And it's tough when so many teams are just kind of going back into it and, and doing the same thing the other teams are doing. I'll tell you what. I mean, the guy that I envy right now, well, not because of where his team is. They stink in the Sharks. But um, Mike Greer, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I imagine he's just sitting back and um, letting the offers increase. Um, he does have the the number one player on every trade bait board, trade list. Yeah. In Timo Meyer, you mentioned Carolina, mentioned New Jersey. Winnipeg has been a team that would love to yep. get Timo Meyer and would have the assets to do it. Um, what's the latest on Meyer, and how do you think this ends up with the return for Meyer in comparison to what we've seen for the likes of Horvat, Tarasenko, and O'Reilly that have already been dealt? Yeah, the return will be greater. Um, you know, he's he's controllable. He's a restricted free agent. The qualifying offer of ten million bucks—it doesn't really scare too many people, quite frankly. Uh, or at least that's the message that's kind of being put across. Um, they haven't gotten to the point yet where Sandals is comfortable with an offer, and I don't know if an official offer has really been presented. It's more of like, "We like this guy. We like this guy. We'll consider this player." Would you think of a, another player like New Jersey? That like Al- Alex Holtz is there and a first-round pick. Well, what else? Okay, well, San Jose likes Dawson Mercer. Well, hold on a second. Now that changes the dynamic a little bit from New Jersey's side of things. Uh, if, if you want Mercer, well, we're not giving you Mercer and Holtz at a first. Let's try to figure this out. So nothing's been formally presented, but that's going to happen relatively soon. Uh, eight days away from the trade deadline, some teams like New Jersey would like to get him not only acquired, but signed to an extension. And I've got to imagine the Jets would be in the same position. That that would They would like to do something like that. Carolina they kind of are going with the flow. They're like, we'll worry about the contract later. It doesn't have to be a sticking point. But the contract also affects the price. So it could be tactics on a team's part like Carolina. They're saying, okay, well, we'll just acquire them and we'll take our chances. We don't want to pay a a huge premium for a guy because we don't know what his future is going to be like. So all of that's being played out as well. Columbus has been in the mix. Uh, St. Louis has been in the mix. Buffalo has been in the mix. Like a lot of teams like this player – because of, A, what he brings, but also the fact that he's 26 and he's got RFA status tied to him. You know, you and you bring up St. Louis, which is a fascinating team. I mean, they don't project to be a playoff team, and they've already yep. sold some assets, and they might as well. However, they have been mentioned in the Timo Meyer sweepstakes in the fact that they now have three picks. I mean, how do you see St. Louis navigating the next eight days? Does Barbashev get dealt? But might they be adding as well? Yeah, they're going to do both. Um, Barbashev will be traded. Um, when, not if, is is kind of what I've been told with respect to Barbashev. Um, the asking price is a second-round pick and a prospect. They could hold out and 
until the deadline and hope that a team gets you know desperate enough and gives up a first round pick. I don't know if that's going to happen, but the price has been set for the last few weeks. It's a second and a prospect. And if you really want them now, make a better offer. Uh, so I think that's going to happen closer to the deadline. That's the kind of the gist that I've been getting. Thomas Grice is out there. There's a few other players that are available as well. Um, but this is a team that doesn't want to rebuild and they don't necessarily want to retool. They kind of want to just make things work on the fly and get back to contender status next season. So that's why they're in on Meyer. That's why they've uh, uh, checked in on, on Jacob Chikrin. That's why they're looking at those caliber players that can help put them over the edge, mid-20s, that could fit the core of this team. And that's also why they've been taking calls on both Colton Pareko and Tory Krug. One guy's a right shot, one guy's a left shot, different type of players. Krug's more offensive. Um, Pareko's more the stay-at-home type. Uh, but they're listening. Both of those guys have no trade clauses, but teams are calling. Like Calgary and Ottawa, two teams interested in Pareko. We'll see kind of how things kind of go in, in, in that regard. He's in year one of an eight-year extension. Uh, Krug is in year three, I think, of a seven-year deal. And they're at the same cap hit. So for, for St. Louis, if they do move either of those guys, they want to bring in a young defenseman as part of a package that can slot in. And they want to create a little bit of cap wiggle room in order to make some adjustments up front. Because they, they do have a pretty deep back end, especially if they get somebody on that blue line back for either of those two guys. So St. Louis is an interesting team. Doug Armstrong, not afraid to make moves, not afraid to make bold moves. And if he can kind of wing it on the fly and just kind of massage his roster for next season and get back into that contender status. That's what the blues would like to do. Hey, if you had to bet, I mean, as of right now, when we're having this conversation, they've got three first round picks in a loaded, yeah. loaded draft coming up this summer. How many picks do they actually go to the podium and make? I think one. Uh, I really think, they you think that two of them might be on their way elsewhere. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen in the next eight days. Yeah, uh, but before the deadline, they're they're going to st- if they don't pull that off or those types of moves off, they're going to look to do it in the summer at the draft. Um, but I think they hold on to one and use those other two to make those immediate additions because, like I said, they don't want to prolong this. They want to get right back into the hunt for the playoffs next season, and with guys like Kairu and Thomas and Biddington in the uh, in goal and a, a pretty sturdy defensive core. They want to make those adju- adjustments up front. And I, I think, especially because if they move Barbashev and get a second-round pick, like they may not get a first, but they may be in a position where they get a high second. So if you're losing a, a high first but still have a high second, it kind of, you know, whatever. It's 10 different picks or 12 picks or, or, or whatnot. The grand scheme of things, not the biggest end of the world. But you have a first-round pick, which is a sexier asset, to trade to bring in somebody right away. So – I think St. Louis between now and say July 1st, maybe July 2nd, uh, they're going to be very active on a number of fronts. Dave, a lot of talk in the Winnipeg sports talk chat. Well, every day about what the jets are doing and what Kevin <laughs> Sheveldayoff should do. Um, yeah. It's interesting. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about, you know, a player like Timo Meyer. I mean, a big, big swing, um, you know, to come in and, you know, give the team a yeah. real chance to, you know, have a big, strong playoff run through the Western conference. Um, there's been a real power outage in Winnipeg as of late. I mean, they have got absolutely nothing from the bottom six for the majority yeah. of the new year. Um, and, you know, when the Jets score three goals, they win. I mean, that basically is how things work when you've got a goaltender like Connor Hellebach. And there's also the pressure on the team to put their best foot forward when it comes to potentially extending Hellebach and how important he is. 
we're kind of going back and forth between multiple pieces coming in for Winnipeg or a real big swing with those assets you're willing to move on a top player. What are you hearing in addition to the interest in Timo Meyer? I mean, what do you what do you make of the Jets situation? Are you hearing anything about other players that they've been linked to or interested in? Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously, other than Meyer, I think I mentioned we talked about two guys in St. Louis, Barbashev, pending UFA, Pareko, locked in long term. I believe they've checked in on both of those guys. Um, it gives Chevy op- options, excuse me, to make different ads to the roster. Whether you're bringing in somebody who can fit your middle six, like Barbashev, who's very versatile. Um, he can play any of this, the three forward positions. He's got a low cap hit at $2.25 million. And he's not afraid to get dirty. Like he was when St. Louis won the Stanley Cup, he was one of those grinder, get in the corners, make some noise kind of players. Last year, he put up 60 points. This year, production has tailed off, but I think it's more of a, a result of the circumstances of how the team is playing overall. Um, but those are a couple players that I believe they've at least, you know, checked in on. I do expect them to, to make some type of addition in the mid six. Maybe it's bottom, maybe it's third or fourth, but I think the potential for a guy who can slot in and be, you know, kind of moving up and down the lineup, depending on opponents, depending on matchups. I think that's what they prefer to do. And I mentioned it earlier, when you look at the West and you look at the central division, um, even the Pacific, I guess, both of them, there's no clear cut team. That's that much far ahead of anybody else. Everybody's right there in the way in, in the race, including Colorado now. Uh, because of their injuries and they'll get Landeskog back at some point, but now there's the scare of Makar and, and everything going on there. So what type of ad can you make that can really put you over the top? And is this the year where almost any team in the West has an opportunity to get to a Stanley cup final? So if you make an impact addition or two is now the time to pounce, to get you to the final. And then who the heck knows you've got seven games to pull things off against an Eastern conference opponent. I think that's the mindset for a lot of teams right now in the West including Winnipeg. I throw Dallas in there as well. Colorado's not sure what they can do because of their injury and cap situation. Vegas is another team because of their cap space. They'd like to make impact additions as much as they can. So I think from the Jets perspective, they may be looking with contracts coming up for a couple guys that you mentioned earlier with the uncertainty slash quasi certainty of the future of Pierre-Luc Dubois. um, I think this is an opportunity that Chevy and his staff are looking at going, you know what? This might be the perfect time to really pounce. So it wouldn't surprise me if they make one or two impact-type additions. And by impact, again, it could be a Barbashev type, but those types of players mean so much come playoff time. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to pull something like that off because it might be the right moment to do it this season. One of the really interesting teams um, as we get closer to the 3rd of March is a team that's going nowhere other than the draft lottery in the Chicago Blackhawks. Explain this deal to me yesterday with the Ottawa Senators, maybe from the Senators' perspective as well, um, and then touch on Kane's situation because he looked like he had checked out a week ago. Now he's on fire. He's playing great. They're winning hockey games, hurting their draft value. What's next for Patrick Kane? Uh, But start off with that deal yesterday because I think that was a bit of a head-scratcher getting what was it a second to sixth and taking the Zaitsev contract with Ottawa just getting it off the books. Yeah, and that's exactly what the Sens wanted to do. And about three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, they made it known that they were going to give a second-round pick to any team that wanted to take Zaitsev off their hands at full pop. It, it was a fourth-round pick that was added in, in 2025 or 26, whatever it is, um, 
but it costs a little bit extra, but it got him off the books. So moving Mott to New York a few days prior and moving Zaitsev yesterday to Chicago, they freed up about $6 million overall in, in dollars and cap space to give him a little bit more flexibility here. And that was the goal. They talked to the Ducks about eating salary. They talked to a few other teams about making this happen. Chicago is going to make more trades beyond Patrick Kane. So they need some roster players eventually to be on that team. So to get a second round pick for a team that's re- rebuilding and it'll probably be a middle of the pack second, I-, I think this is a move that I like it from both both sides, quite frankly. Chicago's got money. They got the uh, the ability to pay this off pretty handsomely and and easily. And they have a ton of cap space that they're going to work with, especially after they make a few more moves here. So, you know, I, I get it from Ottawa's side of things. They're also looking to free up the roster space to add someone. Like I mentioned Pareko. They've checked in on him. They checked in on Mackenzie Weger in Calgary. I'm not sure exactly what the Flames are going to do at this point. Depends on the time of day. You hear one thing, you hear another. Um, but they checked in on Pareko. Can they make a move to get either him or Chikrin? And then that allows them to move out. Uyghur or something like there's so many different scenarios that kind of play out. Um, but Ottawa checked in on that too. So I don't think the Sens are done. I know Chicago is not done with what's going on with Patrick Kane. And I'll get to him in a second. But after that Zaitsev deal, there was a lot of rumblings that Jake McCabe was on the way out. And I've been told similar to Barbashev, it's a when not if scenario for Jake McCabe, who has got another year left on his contract, a $4 million cap hit. Chicago is willing to retain um, there was a lot of talk that something was very close there. Then we find out Zaitsev has some immigration paper issues. Got to wonder if that's playing a factor. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but it might play a bit of a factor because Chicago played it yesterday and they got another game coming up. So we'll keep tabs on that. Sam Lafferty is another guy that is, it sounds like close to being moved. They have Domi, they have a Tennessee, they have Connor Murphy, um, almost anybody on this team. Uh, so they're very active. And to bring in Zaitsev, you need bodies, you need warm bodies and NHL experience. I understand that addition, but they're definitely going to make more. And then Patty Kane, it looks like Rangers. It looks like they're going to try to figure how, this out. How can they pull this off? It lo- So looking at the numbers, um, you need a third team in this. So basically you've got to take 75% of Kane's current contract, that's got to be retained by two teams, whether it's 50 Chicago, 25, another team, whatever the heck the the math is, 30, 45, I I don't care. It's got to be 75. So that means 25% of that deal, 2.625 million cap hit is what the Rangers will be responsible for. They've got closer to the deadline. So sometime next week, they will be around 900,000 in cap space. They'll move out Kravtsov that puts them around 1.8. They're still going to have to free up a little bit of, uh, of space, so there's going to have to be something else that happens. But there are teams that are willing to take that on as a 25%, 30% cushion because if you look at his numbers and the money, his $4 million uh, bonus was paid out on July 13th. He's making $2.9 million all season. So if you prorate that to roughly now or around the deadline, if you take 25% of that deal – it's only about $215,000 that you're actually paying in hard money in addition to the cap hit, which is obviously greater. So for teams that are looking to load up on a, an extra second round pick or something to that effect, it, it's only going to cost you two hundred grand. And for what Minnesota did in the O'Reilly deal to get some extra draft, to get a fourth round pick for $74,000, it's a little in actual dollars. 
it is attractive. I heard Minnesota's been in the mix on this again. I heard Montreal's been in there. I believe Vancouver is an option as well because they're willing to retain money on an expiring deal. The Rangers have options to make this happen, and they're right there. If it, I think it's a three-team race, by the way. I think it's the Rangers. I think the backup plan is Dallas. And if that doesn't happen, he'll stay in Chicago. I don't think Carolina's in there. I do not believe Vegas is an option for him. And I don't think Edmonton is either. Well, and, and, and I mean, I remember, I mean, Kane's public comments, how disappointed he was that they yeah. made the Tarasenko trade, which sort of at the time seemed like he was taken out of it. Pretty interesting to see how things have come back around. And uh, lo and behold, <laughs> there are the Rangers again in again yeah. on one of the big fish. Um, Jacob Chikrin is another name. We've been talking about him for a year and a half on the trade bait board. I mean, yeah. why hasn't he been dealt? He's not playing right now. And um, if you had to guess, Dave, I mean, how does this one get settled or does it get settled by next Friday? It doesn't have to. He's got two more years on that deal. They can do it in the summer, which would probably tick a lot of people off, um, <laughs> including Chikrin. Uh, But this is a look that uh, Bill Armstrong believed he had a trade in place two weeks ago. So when he scratched, when, when they pulled him from the lineup on February 11th, two, two Saturdays ago, they thought they had a deal in place. Obviously hasn't happened. So whatever changed has resulted in not only, and, and it was believed to be Los Angeles. So whatever changed, um, LA's still in the mix, but it's also allowed a few other teams to circle in and see if they can get in on this. The reason he hasn't been dealt, it's very similar to how Colorado and Joe Sackick handled Matthew Shane. They have a price. If you're not willing to pay it, we control the guy. We'll keep him. It's almost the exact same situation in, uh, in, in, in Arizona right now in Tempe. So if teams are willing to pay the price, Bill Armstrong will pull the trigger tomorrow. But he's waiting for somebody to do it. Now, it's going to be a first-round pick. It's going to be a few other elements that are part of this too, uh, a top prospect. And then depending as to who the prospect is, is it another pick? Is it, it could be as much as four assets. But Arizona has held very firm on this. And we'll obviously wait and see how this one kind of unfolds. They got eight days to figure it out. I know they'd like to make it happen. I know he wants to, it to happen. Um, it's just a matter of how can they pull this off? I think Boston's out because they've got a deal in place with Columbus right now for Gavrikov. We'll see how everything kind of unfolds. They've got backup plans too. I think McCabe's on their radar. Um, but uh, it, it looks like the field is narrowing, even though some teams have re-entered the mix. Uh, but yeah, almost everybody involved would love to see this come to a finality, uh, including LA who's wanted this guy for like two years. Dave Pagnotta is with us from the fourth period. Go check out the fourth for all the latest on the NHL trade deadline and news and rumblings from around the league. Just before we go, Dave, we've kind of talked about some of the players that have been most mentioned, um, that are in demand. Is there a player or two that really hasn't been mentioned lately that all of a sudden you're hearing might be in the mix? Uh, any new additions to your board? You're going to hear probably a little bit more, and, and I, I, I don't think it's going to happen now. It might more be more likely be the summer. Um, we heard his name pop up last trade deadline. It's going to creep up again. It's John Gibson in Anaheim. Um, the, we, we heard last year that he was open to a trade. Um that kind of took a life of its own and he had to come out and say, no, I'm happy in Anaheim and all that jazz. That's great. But he'd still be open to a trade now. Uh, so don't be surprised if we hear a little bit more on John Gibson. The reason I think it might be more summer, there's just not a market for him at this point, unless Pittsburgh decides to totally change things up, move Jari, move another piece and then compensate for him. Um, 
because Jari's a UFA. I don't think we're going to see too much on that front. Uh, Adam Henrique's name also in Anaheim. He's now week to week with an, a, a lower body injury. Teams might be willing to take a shot on him, um, but we'll have to kind of, you know, wait and see there. So uh, he's certainly a name that that I'm I'm curious about and and kind of looking at and seeing how can they make something happen. Josh Anderson in Montreal. It's been going on for the better part of the last few months uh, or, or several months, really going to the summer. Um, but there seems to be a little bit of traction there with respect to teams re-entering and re-engaging in that discussion. I'd be a little bit surprised if it happens, but I wouldn't be shocked if we hear his name a little bit more over these next eight days leading up to the deadline. Hey, do you think, um, just quickly on the way out, do you think that we'll be seeing some bigger deals in the next few days, or is this going to be a staring match, especially amongst the teams <laughs> in the West uh, and the majority of the deals making the Duthies and whatnot happy because everything yeah. will be happening on deadline day? I think it'll be active on deadline day, and I think we'll see we'll see a few moves trickle in over these next eight days. Like, I, I think the Gavrikov thing will come to a, a close soon enough. Um, you know, Luke Shen is going to get traded. Uh, I think there's also a deal in place there. They're just figuring out the financials. Um, so we'll see that. Maybe Besser, because they've been trying to do that for some time. Um, so I think we'll see, you know, some impact-type deals over these next seven to eight days. But on deadline day, I think it'll be active. It might not be the big, sexy, flashy names um, overall. I think we'll get one or two if they're not moved, uh, you know, beforehand. But and that not that's not including the Meyer and the and the Chikrin and whatnot. Um, but I think we'll have a busy deadline day. Dave, awesome stuff. Uh, say hi to DB and the rest of the fellas, yeah. and uh, we'll look forward to everything <laughs> you guys have going on heading into next Friday and what should be a very interesting and busy NHL trade deadline day. Thanks for doing this, man. Yep. You got it. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. There's Dave Pagnotta. Give him a follow on Twitter at the Fourth Period, and be sure to check the guys. I'll work out at. The fourth period.com. All right, Ruwiki's on deck. Travis Yost from TSN as well. Still to come. Um, gonna give a big shout out to our friends at Royal Sports. I mentioned that Chief Super Bowl gear is there. Uh, all the best fan merchandise from around the league. Six home games coming up. If you've been waiting to uh, maybe add to your Jets gear, now's a great time to head down to Royal Sports. Uh, but of course, they're also the hockey superstore in town with the biggest selection when it comes to skates, equipment, and sticks. Million-dollar stick inventory, and a ton of them are on sale. Warrior sticks, 50% off. A huge selection available right now. So if you're looking for a great deal and need a new twig, head on down to Royal as well. And don't forget that massive snowboard department um, ready for you if you need to get ready for a spring break trip. It's all down at Royal Sports, the best in the biz, 750 Pemina Highway. Make sure to follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. Speaking of uh, of clothing, guys, if uh, you need to up the wardrobe, you know where to go. Andrew and the gang down at F Apparel are waiting for you with the best in men's clothing and custom suits beginning at just 400 bucks. Pick your color, fabric, style, and more. And a couple weeks later, you'll have an amazing new suit made to fit, custom, just starting at 400 bucks. Not just suits, though. Custom pants, golf pants, chinos, shirts for untucked, uh, to be worn untucked and tucked in. Um, and the best selection of men's accessories around as well. If you're in a wedding party, talk to them about a 15% discount when the entire wedding party gets their suits together from F Apparel. Don't waste your money on rentals. And of course, if you've got a 2023 high school grad in the family, 
why not get them a new suit to take that transition into the next step of their life? And when you do that, the young man will also receive a free custom shirt and tie valued at $150. It's all down at F Apparel, 190 Smith Street. Find out more or make an appointment today at F, that's E-P-H, apparel.com. And just before we bring in Brandon Rewicki, it's freezing outside right now, but man, it's going to be hot tomorrow night down at Canada Life Center. If you're not going to the game, the next best place to gather with your friends to watch the Winnipeg Jets on the big screen with big sound is, of course, your local Boston pizza, ice-cold schooners, world-famous Boston's wings, gourmet pizzas and more and if you're staying home because it's just too damn cold out skip the cooking order online at bostonpizza.com all right let's get back to the jets travis yo's coming up in a few minutes brandon rewicki the host of skates and plates joins us now b what's going on how are you i'm doing pretty good man what's going on with you well, uh, my uh, my stress levels have increased over the course of this road trip. Um, listen, Connor Hellebuck, what can you say about him and that performance that he put forth over the Rangers to salvage something out of this? Uh, and a hell of a goaltending matchup last night between Hellebuck and Sorokin. But it just seems like some of these issues that were sort of rearing their head over the last few weeks have almost been compounded over the last little while. A real lack of scoring anywhere in the bottom six up and down performances hot and cold from some of the guys in the top six and it just seems like man when the jets you know don't handle the puck properly it ends up in their own net and uh that is certainly no fault of their goaltender um what do you make of the state of the jets as the team comes back home to take on oh yeah the red hot colorado avalanche tomorrow night yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because we're near the end of February now and it almost seems like all of the issues we were worried about before the season starting have arrived just four or five months late, right? Like it's it, it's basically everything you touched on there. I mean, I, I think I think the biggest issue right now has to be the bottom six. I mean, they're, they're just getting absolutely nothing. And there, there's going to be nights when your top six isn't going. There's going to be weeks or a week or a road trip where your top six isn't necessarily firing on all cylinders. And 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 you need those guys further down the lineup to come in and contribute. And that's what the New York Islanders got on the game-winning goal. And the Winnipeg Jets certainly weren't anywhere near delivering that kind of uh, result on their end of the ice there. So, I mean, that, that, that's that been an issue that you and me have talked about for it feels like a year now. And it was kind of mitigated earlier on in the season, or at least it wasn't as big of a concern as a lot of us had had feared. But there's no doubt over the last month or so that that this has become a major, major problem that needs to be corrected. And the only way it's going to be corrected is by outside help, by by being active in the trade market. And and the other thing is, and, and this is more of an internal issue, and I, I, I don't know what the fix is for this exactly other than just bucking up a little bit and, and, and manning up and, and you know, starting to bring in night in, night out. But it, it feels to me like there is a major lack of focus right now, a lack of sharpness. There, there's not that same attention to detail that we saw in the first couple months under Rick Bonus here. And I hope it's a wake-up call to the guys on the team that, you know what, you're you're not good enough to to shy away from that every single night. Like the, Tampa, Tampa Bay doesn't do it. But Tampa Bay could do it, right? Colorado could do The Jets are not at that level. So maybe that – I don't know if there was a little, oh, we're near first place in the West at the All-Star break, this or that. 
But I think there, this needs to be a, a huge splash of cold water in the face here that if we don't do the little things right, we're not even going to give ourselves a chance to make noise come the, the you know middle of April, let alone May and June. No, it's a great point. And I mean, while it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, the bottom six hasn't scored in forever. And, you know, when the Jets score three goals, they win. Uh, so many of the problems that the Jets have had over the course of this game, the New Jersey third period, the two goals that went in last night against the New York Islanders, you know, have been the result of just poor puck management and yeah. handling it. And Bones has talked about that before. And and the thing that is so frustrating, I'm sure mostly for Rick and his staff, is that these, for the most part, are simple things that, you know, you, you don't need a specialist. You don't need to detail like a bunch of crazy analytics. I mean, it is making the proper play and doing it well, making a crisp pass to the place that you need it. I mean, and maybe this is just an overreaction at this point in what is a long, long season, but you're exactly right. Some of the things that they did do well, that they seem to have focus on over the course of the first few months, there's been some erosion of that right now. And you know, I think it's, it's wreaking havoc, not only in their own end, but also part of the reason why they haven't been able to spend as much time getting shots on net, creating quality in the offensive zone is that there's been breakdowns before they even get to that point and then spend the rest of the shift chasing the puck, trying to get it back. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and I, I think puck management, you know, as a team wide issue has been their, their biggest bugaboo pretty much since game one. I mean, there's, there's been some nightmarish, evenings inside their own end where it's like well <laughs> you're not being coached to do this I, I would imagine here right but they it just seems like every handful of games they they get into these ruts where they're just not making the correct decisions with the puck and, and it, it could be you know either they're not making the simple play where you just hey bang it off the glass live to fight another day or they're just not making a stick a, a stick to stick pass um but the, it, it just seemed like that islanders game again was a great example of that especially on the second goal where there, there was no danger there, right? Like th that should have been, that should have been a play that doesn't even get anywhere near towards the front of the net. Like Dylan DeMello plays the body really hard in the corner there. The Jets have the puck and they have the Islanders outnumbered. Like how how, how does a play like that end up at the back of your net within three seconds? But it's a bad pass by Cal Connor to, to Kevin Stenland, who you know is kind of pivoting. He just he, he can't feed in the puck in that moment there, and then it's a couple turnovers ends up at the back of your net. Right. Like it's just little little plays like that that have been killing this club. You know, having said that, too, it's also like they're not playing completely awful because I, I thought to an extent they kind of got goalied in that game against the Islanders, too. So so there is like a little bit of optimism here in the sense that, you know, it's not all the Rangers game where it's, hey, hello, yeah. we, we need you to make oh, the game that they won. Game. Yeah, the game, of course, the one game that they won here. You know, I thought I thought they outplayed Columbus and I thought they outplayed yeah. the Islanders. But those are the issues that you're talking about, where the Jets are turning two points into zero points, and that's that's frustrating. I think that's where a lot of the the the, the negative sentiment is right now. It's it's not that this team stinks; it's just that they're making life way too hard on themselves. And if they can get back on track here, and again get some help in a week, then we maybe we still might have something cooking. You know, speaking of a week, it'll be interesting. We usually do our chats on Thursday here on Winnipeg Sports Talk when you jump on with us, and that'll be one day to the deadline. We'll see whether something happens before then or this staring match continues and we get down to 
you know, that final day when all the activity happens. But I mean, our conversations for the past few weeks have been, do you go all in for a Timo Meyer, a top six forward, or do you, you know, figure out what you're able to give up and try and acquire a difference maker on the blue line? We hadn't spent a lot of time spending, well, really any time talking about multiple acquisitions to completely change the bottom six. After this road trip in this last month or so, and you look at the scoring droughts of so many of the players that are getting significant minutes that have not been able to do anything offensively, the more I think about this, I'm not sure that if you're Kevin Sheveldayoff, there's all of a sudden a plan C that involves, you know, trading a number of the assets that you were ready to do it. But instead of going for one player, multiple additions to really significantly shake up really everything from line two to line four in the forward group. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm on board with that. I And it's kind of why I've been leaning towards putting premier assets to a blue liner because you're just going after one. And then you can kind of go bargain shopping up front because, look, Timo Meyer would be great. I'm not going to complain if the Jets go out there and acquire him. You yeah. get high-end talent, like go out there and get high-end talent. Like I'll I'll find a way to talk myself into being super jacked for Timo Meyer. But the Jets do have two number one centermen. They do have two top-line wingers. They have, against all odds maybe, you know, a 35, 36-year-old that's playing – pretty close to a first line level so far that they're, they're not lacking high end talent up front. There is a major hole in terms of some big time impact on that third line. And Adam Lowry was great earlier on in the season where we're starting to see his production, maybe even his level of play tail off a little bit here. I think, I think just turbocharging that third line and having a guy that can come in there and then maybe spell Cole Perfetti on the second line depending on what happened. And obviously his injury plays a, another role in all of this, how long he's going to be out for. But but to me, that's where the Jets don't necessarily need to be talking about, do we need to give up a top prospect or top picks to, to help round out our forward core? We see all the time guys get moved for, for relatively cheap at the trade deadline that can still bring you a major, major impact come playoff time. And, well, I, and one I, other thing with that you know, for a Jets perspective that is definitely in their favor is the, the cap space that they have. Yeah. I mean, there will be teams that will be looking to move a player or hell, there'll be other teams that are going to need to make room for guys that might have expendable players that can help the Winnipeg Jets. And that cap space is something that will be incredibly valuable for them if they are looking to make multiple additions. That being said, I think they still would love to get a real true impact player in that top six. And then obviously number one on the wish list is a Timo Meyer. You know it's going to cost a significant number of assets to get him. Um, and it's complicated. And maybe that need is even more with the obvious concern that the team has about Cole Perfetti. And Bones has sort of been noncommittal on it. They're waiting for a doctor's report. But the fact that he went straight to the IR... I think tells us that this is maybe not the day-to-day -day thing that people had thought of when he wasn't in the lineup because, of course, he was on the ice when the empty netter was scored against New Jersey with the goalie pulled at the end. Um, that being said, after further review, as they say, it doesn't look like it's good news for Cole Perfetti. And, I mean, that's just another need of, you know, of a guy that, I mean, a, a bit, I think he's got two goals in his last 24 games. He certainly wasn't tearing it up. 
but if all of a sudden he is out there, there's no one there knocking on the door that says, hey, I'm a top six player right now. I can contribute because it's been zeros throughout the third and fourth line. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're not contributing to the bottom six. I don't I don't anticipate somebody stepping up to to fill the, the shoes up there on the first or second line. And, and look, yeah, he two goals in 24 games on pace for 50 points this year. Like that, that's still a pretty massive hole for a club that that doesn't really have any reinforcements like he touched on to come in there and fill them right away. I guess like if, if you're talking about semi-serious injury for Perfetti here, you're, you're probably hoping for something like four to six weeks, and then he's back for the last handful of games in the regular season. I, I but it's it's tough to kind of you know put any sort of a timeline on that without knowing what he's what he's dealing with right now. But I mean that's what we saw in the Islander game too. I thought in that. You know, Mason Appleton, Mason Appleton, I think, could be a good third liner. His his limits are exposed pretty quickly when he's out there with, you know, Shifley and Ehlers or Shifley and Connor. It just that that's that's not the kind of game that he can play right now. Uh, the same goes, I think, for Morgan Barron. And, and you can go up and down the lineup and, you know, the guys that are with the team right now and even some guys with the moose. You know, there, there's just there's nobody in house right now that can fix and fill those spots. So this this to me is 100 percent on the general manager right now. Um, and how you go about filling that, I mean, waivers might even be a possibility as well, depending on some of the guys that, that could potentially be thrown out there. Um, it, it'll be really intriguing to see to see who Chevy's targets are going to be up front if, if Timo Meyer isn't one of the guys that's that's being brought in. Because there's some guys that, you know, I, I like their games, but it's do you want to pay a, a first or a, you know, a second at plus for them when... You know, you might not be necessarily getting that kind of value back, or do you take a flyer on some guys that might only cost a fourth-round pick and and hope that they're able to shore the gaps for the next couple of weeks? You know, we were just talking with Pagnotta about a bunch of the big names and the trades that have been made, and it is really interesting. I mean, all the aggression has been in the East. Tarasenko goes early to the Rangers. Um, of course, the Leafs make the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Bo Horvat was the first domino to fall well advance of when people thought he would trade it. And then you've got the West right now. And if anything, it's jockeying moves like Vegas made yesterday, trading the great Shea Weber to the Arizona Coyotes. But, I mean, this is sort of a staring match. And I I do wonder whether, at least amongst those West teams, whether one team will make a deal and then dominoes start falling very quickly or whether there will be an advantage for the team that jumps first as opposed to waiting for what probably will be a crazy day next Friday on the third of March. Yeah, the the Arizona money launderers are are putting together quite the uh, the twenty sixteen. Yost called it a Ponzi a, scheme. Yeah, th- thank you, thank you. I'm so I can't believe nobody talks about this enough. Like this is just it's it's the ultimate joke. It's it's complete. It's so beyond bush league that we're still doing this. And it's it, it would be funny to see them go after like a Carey Price or a Ben Bishop too, just to round out. The starting lineup because the goaltender is all that they're missing right now, but uh, it, it's just despicable. But you're right. I I I wonder if it's maybe a case of playing chicken right now, and it's this is the fascinating part of being a GM to me. And I, I always wonder too, like because so many GMs are former players or things like that. Like, do they take negotiating classes? Like how? Like I right because no no player has any experience in terms of using things like leverage and, and and different things like that. Like, I don't know if they got Phil Helmuth on staff in terms of trying to help out bargaining, but um, th- th- this is this is kind Hellmuth. of the, the really... 
the really intriguing aspect of, of being a general manager is not only like, okay, who do we need to target? Who's the guy we want to go after? But when do we want to make that move? Right, because that 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 that's a that's a, I think a really underrated aspect of of doing things properly as well. Like, can you can we give up a third round pick instead of a second round pick? Like little little different things like that that can give you an edge. That that's that's what I think we're starting to see come into play here. I, I, that, and that's more from the acquiring side, but from the the seller side here, like oh. you you've got to try to drum up a market as best as you can here. And that's the other aspect of this: is do you think you'll get more value? Next Friday, or is it just let's cash in our chips right now and get whatever we can for the guy? Well, man, can you imagine being a fly on the wall in Mike Greer's office right now? Yeah, exactly. With the asset, yeah. I mean, and we won't even get to Carlson, but I mean, just specifically about Meyer, with the amount of people and the amount of teams that have interest in him would like to go. I, I mean, I think he's just being more than happy on sitting back and letting the offers grow. Um, and it will be incumbent if a team wants to go in and just say, let's get this done now um the return for meyer could be beyond what anyone speculated even a couple weeks ago because i think of the arms race and the fact brandon when you look at the east we haven't seen this in years and certainly not the case in the west but there's a whole bunch of teams ottawa buffalo detroit that are still in the mix for potentially being in the playoffs and have games in hand which I think has made it far more a seller's market than it yeah, has been in the exactly. past. And and no one in a better position right now than Mike Greer. Yeah, you're, you're banging on there. That, that's why I wonder if, unless somebody just you know steps up to the plate and hits a home run and says, hey, whatever you want, that's yours. We're going to make it happen. I'm not going to be shocked if this one goes down to the wire. And, and the same goes for a lot of the other premium. I mean, the chicken thing at this point, who the hell knows? I mean, that that's it's not going to shock me if that one comes to the suburb too. But uh, I'm not going to be surprised as well if, you know, sometime in the coming days we we hear a report leaked out that the Sharks are potentially willing to hold on to Timo Meyer until this upcoming summer to make a trade then, right, to try to drum up a little more um, leverage or whatever they can to, to get a bigger deal here. So I, I guess from Winnipeg's perspective in this, in terms of trying to figure out what Chevy is going to do and, and then maybe even when he's going to do it, I, I think it's – we look at what he's done in the past – and I believe when he's made the big splashes, both Stasny and Hayes were acquired the morning of the trade deadline, right? So I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I was leaving, I was leaving the station you know, right, right after both of those things happened. So yeah, the Stasny one, I vividly remember coming in before the show and doing a double take. Like, yeah, excuse who? me, what? <laughs> Paul Stasny? Yeah. What? <laughs> exactly, right? So I mean, if I'm if I'm a Jets fan, I'm probably. You know, I might take a couple days off refreshing Twitter every handful of minutes here because uh, we're looking at past actions, trying to predict what somebody's going to do in the present. I think uh, I think Chevy's going to play this one right down to the wire. We'll we'll see. And, and on top of that, too, he makes the big splash in the morning, and then he makes a couple other trades later on in the day. So so for, yeah, for Friday Friday's probably going to be a bit of a beauty for Jets fans. Yeah, well, you're invited. Uh, we'll probably do. I remember last year was right when I had acquired COVID for the first time. And I had my Michael Jordan flu game show (laughs) where we went four hours instead of two. Um, So hopefully I'll be feeling better, but we probably will do a much bigger show. So I don't know whether we maybe want to move you to hang out for a while with us on Friday. If you've got the time, we'll check out schedules next week. Put me in a mimosa hour. I'll I'll, I'll be there for mimosa hour. (laughs) Excellent. I'll get a couple pictures ready for you. Um, just quickly, I, I, I'm still, and we're gonna. I'm gonna ask uh, Travis Yost about this. 
Um, what are the Sens doing? Like, you know, they get rid of the Zaitsev deal now after having him on the books, not helping the team for a long, long time. Trade, was it a second and a fourth to do it? Um, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, they're actually quite serious about maybe making another deal as a buyer and needed the cap space and the ability to do it right now. Yeah, that's not going to surprise me at all. And, and there, I mean... You think the Jets have a hole in the back end? Ottawa's got you know a couple, but some some pretty pretty significant ones as well. So I, th- yeah, if you're trying to read the tea leaves there, it does seem like they're opening up space to do something and, and do something big. And remember too, like Alex DeBrincat <laughs> is an upcoming RFA, I believe, right? And there's no guarantee that he's necessarily going to want to stay in Ottawa, despite everything sounding okay. They, like they they've. They don't have to make the playoffs necessarily, but they can't be what they were in the first half of the season, which is a complete dumpster fire. And so going out there and acquiring somebody and, and doing that to somebody with term as well, I think that's going to be the, the MO we see from the Sens here. So who's that going to be? I mean, it's it's interesting. There's there's a few guys out there that, that might have some ties to the Ottawa area. I'm pretty sure pretty sure David Pegnata, who was just on here, made mention that Mackenzie Weger maybe isn't all that happy and Pretty sure Uyghur is either an Ottawan, Ottawan, whatever whatever it's called. I'm pretty sure he's from the area there. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to be shocked to see the Sens maybe make a bit of a splash. But I don't think it's going to be a rental for them. I think they're going to go after somebody big on the on the, on the the blue line. It's going to be somebody with a lot of term and a lot of uh, cap hit as well. So who that's going to be, not so sure yet. But yeah, I imagine that they're not going to be um, in selling mode despite having a leapfrog like four or five teams to get a wild card spot. Well, you know what? It's funny because, I mean, one of the teams that, you know, has been kind of rumored to be kicking the tires on Colton Pareko has been Ottawa. And I know Ken's brought him up from a Jets perspective as well. And I can tell you what, I, I would not be doing cartwheels if that was the acquisition that the Winnipeg Jets made. And I guess there is something to be said for cost certainty, a long-term deal, and, you know, guy. and again, he's got a no trade, so... Good luck on getting a you know a player to be in St. Louis where you've won a cup and you've just signed an eight-year deal to waive it in year one with seven years left. But to be perfectly honest, I mean, I guess could he help you now for sure? You want that on the books for seven years? I yeah. mean, at what at what point do you get into a situation where you're paying the player for his past performance with someone else's team? And that becomes somewhat of an anchor for a long time. The guy can still play, and certainly he'd be an upgrade. But, man, seven years is a long, long time when all of those seven years are on the other side of 30, on the back nine of a guy's career. I I actually think Pareko is a riskier acquisition than Eric Carlson is, to be honest with you. And you're, you're talking about a pretty similar level of injury history as well. I mean, he's he's had a bad back for a long time. And as, as somebody with a bad back, the uh, the 30s are not the cure for what might ail you in terms of the the lower back situation there. So, yeah, I I I don't I honestly don't think I want any part of of Colton Pareko to Winnipeg. I, there, there's just way way too much risk there. And and to me the biggest alarm bells out of all of it is, you know, he's he's been with St. Louis his whole career. Why would the Blues in year one of that eight-year contract, already be looking to move on from him, right? Like that—that—that that, that to me is the, the the biggest. I don't know if we should be taking the plunge here, despite having somebody that would be here for the long term. So I, yeah, I, I just don't think that the timing would be right on that trade. And you're you're bang on. Like if it's if it's cup winning Colton Pareko, 
That's a special player, but I, I don't think he's that guy right now, and I don't think, unfortunately, he's ever going to be that guy again. Yeah, well, and, and listen, just bring it back to the Winnipeg Jets, and I know you and I have talked about how interested we'd be in an acquisition of a player like Jacob Chicker and what that would do, and I guess it still does make sense with a couple years left on the deal. But, man, the way the team's been playing as of late, I mean, I think I'm more – like the more I watch this team struggle to score goals and yeah. have issues with some of the simple things, um, you know, and I think they've done a good job to get where they are this year. But I think we are seeing the law of diminishing returns right now with the players they have in the bottom six. And even outside of those top kind of star players that have been doing all the scoring, um, I, if I'm shoveled off, I mean, I'm maybe making multiple calls and looking at multiple assets to bring in a number of players to really get a completely new mix amongst the other uh, forward group. Because I think the scoring is going to come for, you know, Shifley's going to get his, Connor's going to get his. It was nice for Ehlers to finally break that 10-game goal-scoring slump, and hopefully he can get hot. Wheeler will be in the mix as part of all of that. Of course, you've got Dubois. We'll see what happens with Perfetti. Um, but this team, I mean, making the playoffs, okay, fine. I mean, you're not going to win anything in even the first round, regardless of who you play, if you cannot get some contributions and at least be even or ahead at times with your third and fourth line out on the ice. And that just simply has not happened for the better part of the last six weeks around here. Yeah, they the, the Jets are no doubt certainly testing my uh, my patience on the <laughs> let's go after an elite blue liner here instead of beefing up the the, the middle six there right like it's each passing game it's like uh, maybe 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 we save Chickard for another year <laughs> we try to find somebody that could score a freaking goal for us I mean. I have seen people float around the potential idea and and I'm seeing more and more of his name being tossed out there in the trade market. Like if you want to go big, big, like maybe you go out your Chickering and Nick Schmaltz in Arizona and make this just one big package deal and try to fix all of your issues in, in one fell swoop. Like maybe, maybe that's something that might intrigue Chevy. Like he hasn't gotten the blockbuster shoes on since the Evander Kane one, you know, talking about making like a, a seven or an eight player trade or something like that. But maybe that's something that, that, that you go about doing. I, I guess ultimately though, even I think even if you're somebody like me who thinks that getting a number one blue liner behind Josh Morris, he is, is I, you know, maybe the biggest thing this team needs to do. It, it just, it can't be the only thing like that's, that's I think what's become real apparent over this last stretch here is that, I, I mean, even, even just getting a guy like Timo Meyer, is that even enough for this team? Right? Like I, I think they are, probably two to three and and most likely three pieces away from being a legit contender in the Western conference. And that's, you know, just looking at the teams and, and what they have right now, like never mind if Colorado goes out and gets a second line center and then Vegas goes out with all the cap space they might have now for this year and next to get an impact player Dallas, as well as in the market, right? Like the, the jets, I think, I think realistically need to look at three assets coming in here to help fortify what they have right now. Um, how they go about spending that, that that's, I think, the big debate right now. But, um, yeah, it's, I also think it's fair to say that, you know, one forward isn't going to alleviate all the scoring issues that are happening right now in Winnipeg. You're probably going to need to bring two outside names into the mix to, to help fortify the bottom six at the very least. Watch him put up seven tomorrow against the Avs. That's Probably, a- yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, we take it. Yeah. They certainly do. They certainly do. I mean, I said yesterday on the show, 
We were jumping on a Nick Ehlers goal prop last night against the Islanders. I don't care that it's Sorokin. There's no way this guy can go this long without scoring. He got one. I think we're at that point for a number of guys in the bottom six, even though they're not quite in the category of Nikolai Ehlers. Uh, fill us in on what's coming up on skates and plates over the next couple of days. Yeah, new episode coming out tomorrow. Um, you know, talking, I mean, a week before the deadline. So that's going to be the primary focus there. Any games that, that might be of importance or maybe under the radar that, that teams could go for. Also, I saw, I, I, I try to watch as many Oscar movies as I can, like around this time. And the last one I think I haven't seen is The Whale with Brendan Fraser. And I, I watched the trailer for it on, on Amazon Prime. Is that the one where he's like 600 pounds? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have never seen a sadder trailer in my life. And I I, I don't I don't think I'm gonna be able to watch that. Like it, it just it looks too heartbreaking. And then I was just thinking, like, saddest, like what are the saddest movies of all time? Or the saddest scenes of all time? I, I, there, there's some there's some heavyweight contenders there, especially like now that I have a little one. The Pixar movies are just a nightmare. Like it, it's just it's it's Kleenex and like sleepless nights galore. So I like pick pick the people at Pixar suck with what they do with their movies. But well, I, I I don't I, I don't know if you're like big into tearjerkers or or you know rom coms or anything like that. So dude, I, I might not be asking know, the right person. I'll be here, watching but. AEW uh, from Wednesday <laughs> night or something and playing video games and. You know, and listen, to be honest, I'm getting enough sleepless nights and Kleenex from the local hockey team in this yeah. road trip they've just been on lately. So I'm going to I'm going to pass on that one. However, just quickly, have you uh, been watching any of the full swing, the Netflix uh, series yeah. on the PGA Tour? Yeah, I have. I, I'm about like five or six episodes in. I was pretty disappointed with the first few. I, I like it was hype. The Joel Damon lot. one was incredible. The Joel Damon one, that, that one brought me back in. I, I honestly think the best one so far has been the Brooks Kepka one because he's lost. Speaking of being depressed. <laughs> like, oh my God. He like I, I don't know. I don't know if we've ever gotten access to an athlete who's been like at the, the peak of their to where he looks like, like like there was that sequence of him trying to make five foot putts on the on the on the green, and he's oh. like he's just like, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. Like I I, I can't do this. It was like that to me was fascinating. Some of the other stuff has been kind of disappointing. So I'll see how the last few episodes fell out there. But man, I, I was just blown away that a guy like that, that was like the Terminator, right? Like the, the person everybody feared come come Sunday in, in any kind of major, all of a sudden might not be able to <laughs> might not be able to break hey, 70 in Pine Ridge. Just by the way, because we got to get to Travis Yost right away. But uh just on golf, the Live Tour is starting in Mayakoba. This is their first bit. I'm, I'm not sure whether you're a big cliques guy or a stinger, AC, or maybe range goats, but apparently it's not on YouTube anymore. Do we even get the CW network? Like, are we going to be able to watch this in Canada? I don't, I don't think so. Well, anyways, it won't probably be a huge loss, but uh, I didn't mind yeah. the YouTube broadcasts of it. It was actually pretty good, but maybe we'll have to get the app and we can uh, we can watch it here in Canada sure. on that. Rowicki, uh, have a good one. I'll look forward to uh, the latest skates and plates, folks. Pick it up wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and uh, we'll uh, talk about next week to uh, maybe do a little something uh, extended style on uh, trade deadline day if you want to jump on. I'm ready whenever you need me, man. Sounds great, and have a great weekend. Right on. Thanks so much. There's Brandon Rewicki. Give him a follow on Twitter, and make sure you're subscribed to Skates and Plates wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right. 
this next interview, I think you're going to really enjoy. Travis Yost, one of our favorites from TSN, coming up right away. Uh, before we do that, though, got to give a big thanks to our friends at Princess Auto with their Princess Auto curling report. And let's see what's cracking at the Scotties right now. Up-to-date standings are as follows. Kerry Einerson, after another win this morning over Alberta, 7-0, locked and loaded for first place in the pool. Jennifer Jones, who I believe, let's see, is Jen on the ice right now? Or I guess that'll be coming up a little later on. Um, is one game behind um, the McCarville rink, who's already at 7-1. and I'm going to check draw 17 this afternoon. And uh, yes, Manitoba Jones going up against the New Brunswick rink. Um, the other wildcard rink, Walter, going up against Newfoundland. Galusha, oh, the big Northwest Territories Yukon battle. Uh, and Rachel Homan coming up this afternoon. Their second of two games today. Uh, they'll wrap the wildcard, or they'll wrap the, uh, the round robin, I should say, tonight tiebreakers tomorrow and the playoffs will be all over it here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Of course, special good luck to Jennifer Jones from our friends at Princess Auto, proud sponsors of the Manitoba Champions. And of course, our pal Reed Carruthers, who's coming to the Briar, joined us yesterday for a great visit as he, of course, is out um, coaching Kerry Einerson's team as they look to make it four Scotties in a row. Princess Auto is the place where you find the best assortment, best deals on the assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West, and you can always shop online 24-7-365 at princessauto.com. Um, can't thank our friends at Culligan Water enough for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Family owned for over 65 years as the go-to people for water and water services in Winnipeg and Manitoba. And they've got it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services and commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Pop down and see them in person at 1200 Sergeant Avenue. You can give them a phone call at 204-694-5180 and check out everything they've got going on for you and your family when it comes to water online at drinkculligan.com. Hey, Bomber fans, if you missed earlier this week, we had Kenny Lawler on the program who was all fired up to get back to IG Field and try and get back on top of the Canadian Football League with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I know many of us are fired up to get back to IG Field and see friends, watch the Bombers win football games and have a couple CCs down at the Rum Hut or the amazing Canadian club and ginger ale available in Cannes. Let be a little bit of a wait till we get back to IG Field. But in the meantime, you can pop by your local liquor marts and get Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, Canadian club, the official sponsor of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. All right. Let's welcome in TSN hockey columnist Travis Yost for a wide-ranging conversation on the East versus West, where the Jets are right now, and the brilliance, continued brilliance, of Jets goaltender Connor Hellebuck. Travis, great to catch up again. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Well, we're doing okay. I can tell you that the Jet fan base has... Uh, 
a major case of the nerves lately. I don't know where this team would be without Connor Hellebuck, but uh, I can tell you right now, it's been a rough four, six weeks for this team. I mean, you know, you follow the entire league, but uh, what do you make of the plight of the Jets right now coming off a uh, road trip where basically they got two points solely on the back of their all-star netminder? It, it it felt like I was going to say a throwback, but it's, you don't have to throw it back that far. I, I think the, the concerning part is when you watch Winnipeg over the last month, they look like the team that we've grown accustomed to from like 2017 to 2021, which is they are an extremely mediocre team that looks great when Connor Hellebuck is racing goal after goal. And if he's not doing that, they really struggle. Um, they, they don't control the pace of play. They tend to get hemmed in their defensive zone. They tend to bleed chances against. And even if Hellebuck's on his game, that makes it very hard to not only play a transition style, um, but also to generate meaningful offense. And I think, I think that, I think the disappointing or at least frustrating part if you're a Jets fan is the first three months of the year, I mean, they were, they were reasonably healthy, but more importantly, their top six, I mean, with the core, the core strength of this team is in the top six and out the wings. And not only were they scoring, it felt like it will in some games, but they were sustaining a lot of pressure and time with the puck in the offensive zone. And the average Winnipeg victory was not, Oh, well, Hellebuck had 47 saves. It was, yeah, Winnipeg, play great they they have a goaltender advantage in literally every matchup they'll play unless maybe it's against tampa I, you know what i mean but um I, I think that the rollback into like yep we win if hellebuck can stop 46 shots i that, i mean it's just you cannot win like that in the modern era of hockey it's too goaltender reliant he's insanely good i i mean i i could i could go i could probably talk for two hours about how good hellebuck is but um i I, I think that the creep of the lack of controlling the puck and not returning to the Winnipeg lineup is, I don't want to say blinking red lights, but it started to feel like the team that really couldn't qualify for the playoffs on, on a, you know, for, you know, multi-year stretch. And on top of that, um, if, if they don't, if they don't rally or recover, I, I still think this is very much a playoff team. Don't get me wrong, but it's, it's hard to see, how they match up against some of the better teams in the league. Well, and listen to me, before we even get to the playoffs, we got to get to the trade deadline. And I mean, our conversations around here, you know, revolved around, do, do the Jets go big game hunting and really get in on a player like Timo Meyer? Do they add some depth? It's potentially the blue line. I mean, when you look at the body of work over the past month of this team, they've got absolutely zero scoring from their bottom six. Um, and, things have sort of dried up amongst the top guys as well. And, you know, I think things have really compounded for Kevin Sheveldayoff when he looks around the league and has to make some crucial decisions for the immediate present, but also the future of the franchise, considering the contract status of some of his most important players, starting with Connor Hellebuck. Uh, you brought up two players. I mean, I think Winnipeg has to be a buyer. They've kind of been, it, I'm trying to figure out the right phrase, sitting on their hands, so to speak, the last few years. And I, I, I don't think many teams would have acted much differently because they were an exceptionally average team, right? Some talent, some holes. The blue line was a wreck for years. Um, but so, you know, it, at different points at different seasons, it may not have made sense to go, quote, big game hunting. Uh, I will say this. If Winnipeg – so the, Winnipeg may not be an elite team. They're not an elite team. But – this is probably the weakest you're going to see a conference in, in probably the next few years. The Western Conference is just awful. It is absolutely awful. They get their teeth kicked in every time they play against the East. 
And I think if you're a Jets fan or if you're in the Jets front office, you're looking around. It's like, yeah, we may not be great, but show me the great teams in the West. Like, yep, Vegas is playing pretty well. Colorado's terrifying when they're healthy. Dallas has had a great year. But, like, none of these teams feel, like, truly unbeatable where you look across across the aisle and the Eastern Conference is just a, you know, a close-range night fight, you know, across at least the top seven teams in that conference. I, I do think two things. Number one, Timo Meyer is a game-changer. Like, I – the trade deadline hyping of players is is sometimes obnoxious and nauseating, and usually it's like this third line forward with six career goals can change your franchise future, and it's just painstaking to listen to sometimes. Timo Meyer is not that guy. I mean, Timo Meyer is a bona fide playmaker. He is a high end scorer. He would fit in like a glove in that Winnipeg top six. I think he's interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you think you can retain him. Um, and, and it's worth, and you see a lot of that with teams giving up conditional picks to see if they can you know, negotiate an extension. Meyer is a phenomenal rental, and he's a phenomenal long-term ad for Winnipeg. Both of those are true. He also greatly changed his playoff fate. He would also push someone down the lineup. The reason why I bring that up is I think if you're talking about the biggest area of weakness right now, I mean, they are getting nothing from their bottom six, and I know the scoring in the top six is slowed, but those are the guys you're betting on over the course of a season, multiple seasons. They're going to have scoring slumps, but on average, they're going to win. They have nothing further down the lineup. And I, I do wonder, I, I was talking to someone with a team uh, a couple of days ago um, about different, different options that may be out there. Barbashev in St. Louis is interesting in that respect because he can probably be had for a fraction of the cost if you're Winnipeg, if you're looking for depth forward. And he's a reasonable top nine playmaker that's going to be available and cost a fraction of what Timo Meyer will. Um, the other thing is, if I'm Timo Meyer um, and or if I'm a team willing to pay a serious price, even though Meyer may seem like a very logical fit in Winnipeg, the team that I keep looking at is Carolina. I just, for the life of me, I can't figure out why Carolina would not make one of their big all in moves here, bring Meyer in. I think they could become the consensus favorite in the East, which is saying something. And on top of that, I think Meyer um, may be a better long-term fit in Carolina than Winnipeg. But I, I do think those two teams probably near the top of the list of teams that should be bidding for him. But again, I think you bring an interesting point, which is you go, you, you try and undershoot that a little bit, hold some of your assets back, and try and address some of the the, the core issue in the bottom six, or do you go go get real talent? I, I think that's a decision that they're weighing right now. Well, there's a real sense of urgency, I'm sure, in the Jets front office because of the way things have gone over the past month. And as you pointed out, the opportunity that lies in the West. I mean, you know, even with the Jets and the Dallas Stars playing very mediocre over the last little while, they're still at the top of the Central Division, but it's completely packed in. And I mean, do you see this the same way as I do, that there's basically nine teams going for eight spots right now in the West? And it, it, it did create sort of a funny situation. I was out with a bunch of buddies watching the game last night, and the Jets had lost. And all of a sudden, we're sitting there cheering for the Arizona Coyotes and the Chicago Blackhawks to get wins just to sort of you know minimize the bleeding right now. Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of, <laughs> kind of the beauty of being a fan in a playoff run, right? You're you find yourself up on a Friday night watching the Coyotes game. Um, like that, that's, that's the sick part of being a fan or being within a team for that matter. But like, I think it is nine teams for eight spots, but I, I really, really do think underscore, 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 how many of those nine teams are good? Like I, and I, I think that is a really important question 
for the Jets front office to answer because it absolutely goes to the risk-reward of what you do with the trade deadline. I mean, you're only so good. You're only as good as the team that you're playing against. In the NHL's brilliant playoff format, Winnipeg, reality is they are a flawed team amidst the sea of flawed teams. And, again, yeah, a healthy Colorado is terrifying. That's true. Uh, Vegas still looks like a pretty damn good team. And Dallas, I mentioned earlier. But does Dallas feel unbeatable if you're Winnipeg? Absolutely not. Does Vegas feel unbeatable? Uh, probably not. And does Colorado feel feel beatable if they're still dealing with injuries? Uh, probably not, especially the way they've played. So, I think it goes to the calculus and the decision that they're making. And, yeah, like Winnipeg needs to wake out of their slumber. But you know what can wake wake a team out of a slumber? Getting a player like Timo Meyer. So that, that to me, is really the fascinating part of this, is how much do the Jets, I, I don't want to say panic react, but more so react in terms of what they're seeing around them. Because this conversation that we're having right now about the Jets' struggles when has this conversation not happened in any other Western Conference market this season, including Edmonton, including Vegas, including Dallas? That's just kind of been the flavor in the West this year. So I, that, to me, is where really the rubber meets the road for the front office in terms of deciding what they're going to do. You know, it really is a great point. Travis Jost is with us from uh, Hockey Columnist for TSN and TSN.ca. You know, the Jets were playing the, the Rangers uh, uh, earlier this week, and you know, we were setting up the game on the show. We were sort of looking at the standings and we're going – you know, the Rangers are sixth in the East right now and would be clearly the number one team in the Western Conference. I mean, you've done quite a bit of work and some great stuff up on your Twitter feed, but can you put into perspective for our listeners on just how tilted this league is right now, currently heading into the deadline between the East and the West? Well, there's two things at play here. Number one, the NHL's playoff format is the worst thing the NHL has in the league right now, full stop. Like, I, I've been... I have been saying this since the year they rolled it out, that if you create a divisional-based playoff format on top of a conference scheduling regular season where you've got 16 teams bifurcated and then you're splitting off eight teams across four divisions and then forcing those teams to merge out of their division and you force the two-seed to play the three-seed in each division, you have to get, to get some spirit of what the playoff actually means. You have to have a talent balance across old playoff format across the conferences, which we've seen shifts in talent across East to West, West to East. That's always going to happen. This, this now in the last seven years, they've decided, okay, you have to come out of your own division. Well, now you've got a second layer of inefficiency. So if you look, and, and it, it, it's almost comical, you're going to have these ridiculous two versus three matchups in the East. And of course, all I ever hear is, oh, everyone's complaining now because of the Maple Leafs. No, that's nonsense. I remember when St. Louis-Chicago played back-to-back two years in a row when they were two of the five best teams in the league. This is not. This has nothing to do with any one team. The format is just garbage. But the issue here, and the issue with this season specifically, and why I'm hoping it's going to be a change agent, but I'm not going to hold my breath, the two divisions in the East are not only consensus better than the two divisions in the West, you need not do anything but look at how these divisions, how each team has played out of division to understand that. Like, if you, look at the, if you look at the Atlantic division, they have beaten up on every single division in the league. If you look at the Metro, they have beaten up on every single division in the league except for the Atlantic. In the Central and the Pacific, they have only, the teams that have moved to the top of the standings in the Central and the Pacific, by and large, have done so because they are the best teams in the West and they're beating the weaker teams in the West. When they play teams out East, they're getting crushed. 
And I think that, again, it goes to the trade deadline calculus of all these teams, number one. Uh, but, but I think, I think the, other, the other interesting part for me in, in a lot of this is you now have a situation. I, I, I think as last week, I don't know if it's still true, the top six teams in the East um, all would have outseeded any team in the West and like I just you know the, the arguments about scheduling imbalances and travel and logistics like I feel like are so secondary to what the spirit of the playoffs should be, which is you've got this 82 game regular season. Don't you want to create a format though, if not perfect, does try and reward teams who do well in the regular season and try and create a system where the teams that win the titles are generally some of the best teams in the league. Like, you're not going to get that right, but that is the North Star. And the league has just decided it, it may as well just throw 16 teams in a random pot and assign these games in the first round. So I, this, this imbalance is significant. Um, but I, I think that I think what's interesting and where I'm, I'm following this, I've been writing about it for years, but you're starting to see – verbalization from players. Sidney Crosby, I think during during the break a few weeks ago, had mentioned like he'd like to see the playoff format roll back to the old one eight. I, I think you're gonna see more of that because I think when the dust settles, you're gonna have two matchups in the first round in the East where the the weaker seated team is going to be substantially better than the team that's getting home ice in the two three in the West. And I, I, I just don't I don't think that the league can say what they want. I don't really think that's what they actually want on paper, right? And until they solve what is going to be a perpetual talent and balance issue that is just going to keep rotating around the league every year, then this format will never work. Well, it's funny you bring that up because, I mean, we were sort of touching on that earlier this week. And, I mean, just right now, I mean, if we started the playoffs today, you've got a Toronto-Tampa first-round series. You've got a Jersey Rangers first-round series. Two teams will be out in the first round, and if you put those teams based on their record in the West, they'd have home ice throughout the playoffs. The the maybe the most compelling argument because I, I get every this is something you know sometimes you write stuff or sometimes you think about stuff and you're like yeah I'm not as confident I kind of feel right I'm so confident about this it's not even funny and and the reason why look at the three absolute garbage teams out in the East, right? You got Montreal, you got Columbus, you got Philadelphia. Go look at their goal differentials against the Western Conference this year. So if you look at Columbus, they're like, I don't know, five five to eight goals in the red against Western Conference teams and like 50 against the East. The Flyers, the Flyers have a positive goal differential against the Eastern, against the Western Conference teams. It's, and it's like in Montreal, same exact thing as Columbus. Almost entirely their losses and their massively negative goal differential is all born from just ugly losses in the East. So even the terrible teams, because I saw that argument, oh, the Toronto's and the Tampa's and the Carolinas, they get fat off these weak teams. Not true at all. Not true at all. And actually the opposite is true. It's the top teams in the Western Conference that are getting fat off the, the weak teams in the Western Conference. And anyways, it's not the point about any division, any conference, any team. You're just going to have this if you force the two and the three teams to play each other in the division in the first round every single year. Every single year, if you look back, I think there was one year where you didn't have um, uh, where you didn't have broken seating, upside down seating. Every single season since been indoctrinated, there's been at least one to two teams injured by the matchup that they're in. Just be, 
just be merely because of the division they play in and one to two teams that have benefited. I don't remember that. Do you remember that Vancouver-Calgary series like six, six years ago in the first round? Sure. I mean, there were the two worst teams in the, there were the two worst teams in the playoffs, and they played each other in the first round. I mean, that, that's – I don't know how the league can allow that. Uh, it is, uh, it's certainly a head scratcher, but they're creating rivalries, Travis. Don't forget, they're no, creating. Do you believe that? I mean, seriously, do you believe no. that? Does that feel? No, it's a joke. Come on. I, it just, it sounds, every time they say it, more and more it comes off like just sales and marketing, like speak. And look, I get it. Like the 80s and 90s were really born from this. Hockey was such a localized sport. Most sports were, for that matter. There was much more, first off, it was way harder to travel, way more painful to travel. These teams fly private. They have incredible accommodations. This is a global, you know, the world is global now. Everyone, if you look around other leagues, the NBA, Major League Soccer, rivalries are born from competition by and large, right? Yes, Ottawa and Montreal are always going to hate each other, but, like, the real rivalries in sport tend to come from teams playing each other in meaningful games. And that's the lion's share of it. Not, Hey, we're 60 miles. No one cares that Toronto and Buffalo were rivals the last 10 years. Who cared about that? They were terrible. And it goes to the point of like, stop focusing so much in geography, focus more on building competitive matchups because people tune in for best on best. They don't want to watch amateurish stuff. Uh, Travis, bringing it back to the Jets for a minute, as freaked out as people are about this recent play of the club, um, the backbone of this team is Connor Hellebuck. We talked about his performance on this road trip already, but um, you had a really interesting piece that you uh, put out on social media earlier about just how good Connor Hellebuck has been really since he joined the Winnipeg Jets and came into the league. Can you explain that for our listeners, if you wouldn't mind? Yeah, sure. Um, so I looked at it. I wanted to include Henrik Lundqvist, but he, he predated the modern, statistical modern era, which we draw the line in 2007, 2008. But what I wanted to show was so Connor Hellebuck's about 425 games into his career, a pretty good sample. And we already know he's an elite goalie. We already know he's one of the better goaltenders in the last 20 years. But I think that list, there is a very, 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 very short list of goaltenders I think I'd put over Hellebuck over the last two decades, I I'm pretty sure I'd put Henrik Lundqvist, but what I started looking at was, okay, Carey Price, Jonathan quick, these goalies who came in and won Stanley cups had incredible peaks. Now quick is not the same goalie anymore. I get it. Price, his career cratered pretty quickly after that 2017, 18 season. Um, but what I looked at was show me the first 425 games of Carey Price. Show me the first 425 games of Jonathan quick. And then after a bunch of people asked, I also then picked other random stretches over their career. And I measured it against Connor Hellebuck and how many goals each goaltender saved versus expectation. So what you're doing is looking at every shot profile of every game that the goaltender faced, calculating what the likelihood of those goals were based on historical data, and then seeing what the goaltender actually gave up. And Hellebuck has outperformed both Carey Price and Jonathan Quick whether you're looking at their first 425 games of their respective careers or whether you're, you're sampling to the peaks of their career and picking a, the same 425-game window. The point being, if Hellebuck is already outperforming to date, goaltenders like Carey Price and Jonathan Quick, who you know, we, maybe the tail end of their career is not what we remember them to be as real goaltenders. I can't. I'm, I start scratching my head a little bit about which goaltender actually did it better for longer. Now, again, I, I mentioned Lundqvist. That's probably the one. 
maybe you start looking at Andre Vasilevsky, but I, I, I honestly think that Connor Hellebuck, despite not having the hardware, the team level hardware, um, I think you can make an argument he's the second best goalie of the last 20 years. And, and, and if, you're, if you're uncomfortable with that, because Vasilevsky has the hardware, fine. But if you put him in the three spot, I mean, I, I, I just don't think nationally across North America, everyone knows Hellebuck's a very good goaltender. But when you start framing it like, do you realize how good this guy has been for this long? And he just does it every night. And the team he plays for has, by and large, not helped him in any capacity. But the team has stayed afloat in large part because of him. Who else does that sound like? That sounds like Henrik Lundqvist. I mean, that's verbatim Henrik Lundqvist's resume. So I, I think I think the Jets fans know this very well. Um, maybe not maybe not as as how impactful and how significant it's been. But across North America, I, I think Hellebuck has become one of the most underappreciated goalies. Not every, again, everyone recognizes he's one of the better goalies in the league. But I, I think if you were to draw a list of the best goaltenders in the last 20 years, he's two or three. And that, to me, is something that is not talked about enough. Well, and, and it's funny, and it brings us to the future for Hellebuck and the Winnipeg Jets. And that, you know, we've kind of said, He's their best player, their most important player. If you're going to keep him around, it's probably looking like a Carey Price contract. He'll be 30 years old in May. He's got one more year on his deal. I mean, if you're Kevin Dayoff and you look at the importance of this player to the team, but also, you know, any sort of associated risks with signing a player long-term beyond 30, how would you be navigating this, maybe starting as early as this summer, making a decision on a player with one year left on his deal? Yeah, so uh, a couple golden rules here. I, I generally, and, and if you follow these golden rules, you'll win more often than not. Uh, don't don't pay long-term for goaltenders, number one. Number two, don't pay long-term for goaltenders that don't have a, a sustained sample of outperformance and have shown to be reliable, whether they're having a great year or an average year. Their, their floor risk is very low. The reason why I bring that up, Last year, there was another goaltender carousel. There is every couple of years. The one goaltender I would have bet on last year, similar age profile, similar production. I think he had 350 games or so, so maybe a little less than Hellebuck. But Darcy Kemper, year in and year out, ranged from good to very good. And so his weaker season, like, yeah, Darcy Kemper had a good year. His good season, but yeah, Darcy Kemper was fantastic. I think the, the, the bar you have to clear to sign a goaltender long-term with, those, with that mileage with that number of games, 30 going on 30, the bar you have to clear are, number one, are you an elite goaltender? Number two, are you durable? Number three, are you reliable? Reliable meaning I don't have concerns about downside risk that you're going to bomb out in a given season or half season. Hellbuck checks every single one of those boxes. So as someone who almost exclusively would say find another path because the, what you are going to allocate to this player you are not going to get back in terms of returns and production, even if he's still very good. That's generally a golden rule for goaltenders, unless you can check all those boxes. I think Hellebuck does. I think Hellebuck is a no-brainer extend for Winnipeg. I think that's something you start working on now. Uh, and, and by the way, it is going to be expensive, and it should. I mean, Hellebuck has the argument that, again, name me another goaltender um, who would walk into free agency in the last 15 or so years that can make the same argument he has. I mean, his statistical profile is as good as anyone. So Winnipeg is going to have to pay out the nose. 
I just don't think they have much of a choice. Could they move on and try and find a goaltender, you know, cheaper and, and take that money and spend it on the blue line or round out their forward depth? Absolutely. I don't know if it's the right decision. And considering what he's meant for that franchise, what he's done for that franchise, to me, there's a business argument to keep him down. Hey, Travis, this has been awesome. Just before we go, I want to bring it back to the trade deadline quickly. Just get your thoughts on what we've learned from the market, uh, about the market right now, from the Bull Horvat trade, from the Ryan O'Reilly trade, uh, as well as a strange one yesterday with the move that Ottawa made with the draft picks no, and Zaitsev to the Blackhawks. I got, I'm, I'm, I'm about to hit send on my article right now, writing about Nikita Zaitsev, and, and I, to, to be funny but also serious, I – there is a fascinating teams have realized that you can acquire bad contracts and make teams pay out the nose and it can be a brilliant bit of business. Um, but I think what GMs do, and I think humans do, I include myself and everyone else. Um, we discount how long long can be. And if you look at that Zaitsev deal, start now I'm blowing up my heart article, but that's fine. If you look at that Zaitsev deal, Ottawa made Ottawa acquired Connor Brown, who was a very productive middle six forward at the time basically to take on Zaitsev's contract and gave up effectively nothing for him. And he played hundreds of games and Ottawa went through a full cycle rebuild and they were terrible with Zaitsev on the ice only to land yesterday with the team with now just a year and a half remaining on his contract, having gotten nothing from him in terms of play over 200 plus games, they had to send multiple picks with Zaitsev to Chicago to clear that contract. And I think that if that's not if that's not resonating with some GMs around the league, I don't know what would. And what to me is the takeaway there is I think GMs and all of us, human nature, are very quick to discount term and maybe overly discount term. Um, it, it can stick for a very long time and really create problems for your cap. I think more broadly on the trade deadline piece, I think the part Ryan O'Reilly, I think, was obviously the big name going up to Toronto. Um, has a multi-goal game that that looks that's a big piece. I'm very interested by Toronto's kind of winish now move because they have to get out of the first round this year, or people are going to get fired. I think that's obvious. Um, the other the other shoe to drop, and we talked about this earlier, but I it's pretty rare to have a game changer moved at the trade deadline. I don't think Ryan O'Reilly's that. He's a very good player. He's not the player he was five years ago. Timo Meyer is a game changer. And so I am fascinated to see what the Hall San Jose picks up from him. And I still remain fascinated also in San Jose by what's going to happen with Eric Carlson because Eric Carlson looks fantastic. He is having a Norris caliber season. I, I think he fits in like, a, again, to our point about talking about Winnipeg where Everything, everything seems negative, but you look around the you look around the league and the Western Conference specifically, and you're like, well, all these teams have warts. I, I, I really, really, really am struggling to think of a good reason why Edmonton should not make a move for Eric Carlson. They bring Eric Carlson into that lineup, and they make the cap work, and they're going to have to they're going to have to clear, I think, four to five million in space, and probably have to move some salary and part of that deal. But if they can get Eric Carlson in that lineup, I think Edmonton's the favorite coming out of the West. So even though a lot of these teams are challenged right now, one move can really differentiate them because if nothing else, you've got two players on the trade block in San Jose that are game-changing players. And game-changers, we're talking about the top 15, 20 players in the league, of which I think both of them are still. So I, I, that, that to me is where all my eyes and attention for the most part will be on San Jose and what teams do business with them and what that call is going to be. 
San Jose could set themselves up for one hell of a quick rebuild if they go that route. We'll see what they do with Carlson, but it seems like Meyer will be moved. Travis, this has been such a great conversation. Really looking forward to that piece you're dropping to tsn.ca shortly and uh, eight days till the deadline. It is going to be fascinating one way or the other. Thanks so much for doing this. Be well. All right. Take care, man. All right, man. What a great segment with Travis Yost. Always enjoy talking to him. And uh, hey, I've been telling you all all year long, Hellebuck's next deal is like a carry price deal, folks. Um, And uh, guys certainly earned it. Whether it will be in Winnipeg or elsewhere, I guess we will find out. But um, the numbers and the performance speak for itself. Um, All right. Hey, got to give a big thanks to our friends at Little Brown Jug for their great support of WST. Locked and loaded for episode or event two of the Winnipeg Sports Talk Sports Trivia Night down at Little Brown Jug. March 29th, everyone. Save the date. Looking forward to it. Already curating Another amazing night of questions, good times, and delicious beers at Little Brown Jug. Should have ticket information for you next week, but uh, mark that down. If you missed the first one, we had a hell of a great time. Hopefully everyone that was there at the first one will be back. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it as well. So March 29th, down at Little Brown Jug. Uh, But you certainly don't have to wait till the 29th to head down to Little Brown Jug. Try all those great beers at the brewery and tap room. And um, hey, if you're out at fine restaurants and bars throughout the city, the good ones will have 1919 on tap. You can also get the great taste of Little Brown Jug, 1919, the new Good Times Variety Pack at Manitoba Liquor Marts or anywhere that sells great beer. And a big shout out to Nick and Nikki DQ. It's pretty cold outside. Might be a great day for a hot, hot, hot flamethrower burger. One of the new six new stack burgers at your local Nick and Nikki DQ. Four locations, DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And, of course, if you're thinking about a blizzard or ice cream cake for a party or an event coming up, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba for the uh, quick and easy pickup once they get that sucker custom made for you, as only Nick and Nikki can. All right, let's get Remus back in here. It was a bit of a long one. we got to get to Cool Bet Lines and a uh, couple other things, but... Uh, what a great chat with uh, with Travis Yost. I, I always enjoy his perspective sort of from outside of the market on the league, what's happening. And we have seen, I mean, the East and West right now is so different. The charts that he has showing, for instance, the Central Division's success against the Pacific, the Central, and the East speaks for themselves. And unfortunately, we got a bit of an example of that on this last road trip for the Winnipeg Jets stream. Yeah, big fan of that conversation. So there was a lot to take away, um, you know, dumping all over the playoff format. I'm here for any day. But, I mean, the stuff he said about Hellbuck, you know, you know, maybe we don't really appreciate him, but him being the best goalie in the last 20 years or among the best, which is why, you know, even if he called the Jets an average team, we know what they need, and they're in an average conference. So it's there for the taking. When you have the top goalie, um, you know, I think you got a you got a pretty good chance. Look, they're leading. Believe it or not, uh, you know we can ha- be all doom and gloom with the Jets' recent record. They're still leading the conference in wins. Hustler, they're firmly in a pl- <laughs> in a playoff spot. Like you wouldn't, would you know based on this chat today that the Jets are leading the conference in wins? Um, no, no, you would no. That's that is a good point. That is a good point. No, um, Thirty-five. Hey, huge game tomorrow. Huge game tomorrow. We get fired up. Avalanche in town. 
Ken Weeb's going to join us somewhere in between New Newark, Phoenix, and Winnipeg. Um, but hey, I just want to quickly get to uh, the chat coming back here. Um, MBHA Ball Hockey uh, says, "Where is this? We've got uh, a number of a, a number of quotes on this on the um, on the Hellebuck conversation. Pay Helly, but eight is too much. Eight is too much for Connor Hellebuck." Guys, if 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 I'm Hellebuck's agent and they said, here's the offer and it's eight a year, I turn around, say, thank you. It's been nice doing business with you. We'll see you later. I mean, that that's almost insulting based on what he's done so far. And T. Will says, we can't afford Heli. If we pay Heli 10 mil per, we'll be the non-playoff team with the best goaltending team in the league. This team's got 10 million in cap space right now. What are you talking about? I, I would suggest we can't afford not to pay Connor Hellebuck. I mean, to me, I, I don't know. Where are you on that, Remus? After, you know, I, I'm pretty torn because I agree. He's over, he's going to be 30, and you don't want to give these 30-year-old players eight-year deals, but you know, maybe he would be the exception. And, I mean, where would they be without him? I, I, maybe they're, they're, it's a situation where they're pretty much forced into it. They don't have a goalie waiting in the wings for them. I think you kind of got to give him the give him the ten million, but you know, Connor Hellebuck makes your team competitive with all of yeah. the other things that could happen with this team of players leaving and reset, bringing in younger players. It, it is a, it is a night and day different story if Connor Hellebuck's not in the mix. Now, I mean, I guess if you did trade him at some point, you're still getting some serious assets coming back. Um, but listen, maybe I'm just a big Hellebuck guy more than some of you guys. He's been so important to this team. He's the best player on the squad. And he um, he certainly earned every cent of the next contract that he's going to get, and um, it'll be fascinating to see how that how that all plays uh, plays out in the meantime. Hey, before we get to the cool bet lines, went out last night with a bunch of fellows to watch the game, and uh, obviously we had the Jets game on most of the TVs, but we did have one of the tubes on TSN three, and got a chance to witness the completion of Canada's epic reverse sweep in the rivalry series Canada versus USA and women's hockey one of the truly great rivalries in all of sports and Remo I'm not sure if some people maybe weren't paying attention to this and we probably should have spent a little bit more time talking about it but when the USA was up three nothing in the series it didn't really seem like a fun topic to touch but how about that up down three nothing in the series Canada comes back with four wins in a row Marie Philippe Poulin, the uh, Canadian Athlete of the Year for 2022, starring once again. And um, it was really, really fun to watch last night. Canada all over them. The U.S. goaltending was a disaster. I think Canada was up 5 nothing after their first 11 or 12 shots. Um, and once again, that amazing rivalry continues to produce amazing drama. It's full seven games. Great crowd last night in Laval, Quebec. And uh, the red and white prevail. Big day for uh, for Hockey Canada, and they haven't had a lot of great ones over the last couple of years. Once again, it's the women providing it. Yeah, pretty awesome. They said they could schedule this uh, seven-game series that we've been asking for, and it seems to, every time they're in these championship games, um, you know, it's a classic every time, and usually involves Mary Philippe Poulin having big big goals. So the reverse— again last night? Yeah, the reverse sweep us— um, Wow, I mean that's that's tough for USA, who's been you know they've been had their share of wins too over Canada. So 
Um, nice that that was getting some play on uh, on TSN there. Yeah, no doubt about it. And also another news, Aaron Rodgers has left the Oregon facility of his darkness retreat. When do you think we'll get all the details of what was going on through Aaron's head? I guess it'll have to be the Pat McAfee show next week, Reem. Yeah, we're hearing details about what the room that he was in. I think it had a bed and a fridge. A meditation mat. Yeah, the, how we couldn't forget the meditation <laughs> mat. So like whatever he needed to do. Uh, to go find himself on his darkness retreat. Uh, good good for him. Um, we'll see where he ends up. Will it be the Jets, the Raiders? Um, who knows? Packers. But, pa- yeah, the Packers. Is Retiring. Under- yeah, could be a number of options. So, I don't know. Like, do you want to spend a lot of time on, I guess, how do you know when he mentioned darkness retreat? You can't avoid it. No, exactly. Yeah, but let's not waste time talking Aaron Rodgers when we've got a big Thursday nighter in the XFL tonight. St. Louis Battlehawks, Seattle Sea Dragons. <laughs> Seattle, a minus two and a half point favorite. Dusty and I had some fun with this tonight in the lock shop. I'm taking the home team, laying the two and a half points on Seattle in the XFL. Uh, however, I know most of you, if we're hitting the cool bet lines, are going to be thinking about these games this evening now there is a brand new edition of the lock shop dusty and i both with picks for tonight's um spread in the national hockey league right now if you're with us live check the chat i'm just throwing in the uh youtube channel link for the lock shop make sure you go there and subscribe one of our first 1,000 subscribers is going to win $1,000 cold hard cash right now. We're pushing 600 So if you haven't gotten in there, check it out and check out today's episode with all of our picks for tonight's action in the NHL. Here are the games. Minnesota, minus 178 road favorites against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Rangers and Red Wings at the, I was going to say at the Joe. No, at Little Caesars Arena in uh, in Detroit. Rangers, minus 144 faves. Devils minus 144 favorites at home against the LA Kings. Pick them between the Oilers and Penguins in Pittsburgh. Minus 108 on each side. The Lightning minus 216 favorites against the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Capitals, Ovi's back. They've lost five in a row. Desperate for a win. Good thing they've got the Ducks who've lost six in a row. Washington a minus 341 favorite. St. Louis at home to Vancouver. Minus 122, the Blues favored. And um, the Calgary Flames, after that bizarre game last night against the Coyotes, back at it tonight against the Vegas Golden Knights. Minus 136 for Vegas, plus 116 for Calgary, who uh, made up a couple points on a number of teams, including the Winnipeg Jets last night, still sit in ninth place and need to make a move to uh, get above that playoff line. Boston and Seattle take on the Kraken. Bruins, minus 172 favorites. Preds, a slight road favorite at minus 122 in San Jose to take on the Sharks. All of those other numbers available at CoolBet. Uh, we've also got a nice afternoon draw in the Scotties. Actually, odds for both uh, this afternoon and tonight are up. Um, important games for Manitoba curling fans. Jen Jones, minus 370 favorites against New Brunswick. Uh, the uh, wildcard Ackland team, they're a big favorite against Newfoundland and Acredor, uh, the well, Walker rink, actually, against Newfoundland and Labrador, minus 385. Rachel Holman, minus 385 against the Scheidegger rink. you got Yukon and Northwest Territories later on tonight looking to run the table 
for a perfect round robin on their way to potentially making it four straight Scotty's championships. Carrie Anderson rink. Uh, you can't even bet on Canada, but you can bet on Nunavut at plus 5,000 to win. You want to hit the rock line, Carrie, and the Einerson rink minus seven and a half point favorites <laughs> on the rock line. Uh, you got draw 17 and 18 specials as well. And right now, the outrights, whoo, Carrie Anderson is now a minus 204 favorite to win the whole thing. Ontario, Rachel Holman plus 345, Northern Ontario plus 425, and Jen Jones in Manitoba at 7 to 1. All there for you over at Cool Bet. Uh, use the promo code WST if you haven't played there before for a 100% bonus on your first deposit up to 200 bucks. And for you lock shoppers that rode with us on our Honda Classic picks, Billy Horschel, 30-1, to 1, tied for the lead at the Honda Classic. He's 5-under. Dusty's number one pick, Sung J.M., who was the favorite at 10-1, 3-under through 13 right now. And Canadian Nick Taylor, man, what a season he's having right now. He's two shots off the lead, 3-under, 67 as well. What's on the docket for tonight there, Reem? Just watching some hockey, parenting, being a dad? Yeah, I'm trying to think. But if I had something, folding my laundry and watching hockey, that's a favorite pastime of mine. I'm looking forward to the uh, <laughs> the Penguins-Oilers game. Crosby Crosby versus McDavid, right? Isn't that, that what it yeah, is? Yeah, for sure. And some some good late games, Kraken, Bruins, Flames. Um, so there are some, some games on tonight. I did watch uh, what the new South Park yesterday, Huss. They started it. I gotta finish it now. Um, they did an episode making fun of um, Prince Harry and Meghan going on their their worldwide privacy tour uh, when he had the book out, <laughs> asking for people to leave them alone. So I watched. I got my wife to watch that one. See, we're watching. We're having a great time watching PGA Tour, uh, Full Swing, South Park. Great time. So uh, that'll be in there. I'm not sure what else. <laughs> I, got a, I got a lot going on. I, I, I'll do, I do want to add, though, hey, if you're in here, hit the thumbs up. Hit the red subscribe button. Someone said the more thumbs ups we get, the bigger the trade Chevy will make. Someone said that oh, in chat. Yeah, so if you want to get Timo Meyer. Hammer the thumbs up, folks. Hammer oh, the thumbs up yeah, if you so, would be so see. kind. If you're watching on a phone or iPad, I think you just have to close the chat and then yeah. hit the thumbs up. But it really does help us uh, spread the word of the channel and uh, – Obviously, it's been a great show today. Thanks to Dave Pagnotta for jumping on. Travis Yost as well. Always love chopping it up with Brandon Rowicki. Uh, and tomorrow will be a great show, Reem, because Ken is going to join us from somewhere, as I mentioned, in between Newark, Phoenix, and Winnipeg. Hopefully, the guys will get back in time for the game tomorrow. And we're also going to be doing a segment. Haven't done a lot on university sports as of late, but... Man, Saturday night, if you're a basketball fan, playoffs, investors group, center, number two Bisons, number three Westman, or vice versa, the battle, the crosstown battle between uh, Manitoba and Winnipeg going at it, and our pal Kirby Shep, head coach of the uh, Manitoba Bisons, is going to jump on as well. We'll hit that latest around the league, and of course, we'll be getting ready for the Colorado Avalanche tomorrow night. Cannot wait for the weekend and sure can't wait for that game. In the meantime, folks, have a great one. Yes, hit that thumbs up. Hit the red subscribe button. 
tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk. And uh, Remo, we'll get the big one heading into a game day edition uh, heading into the weekend tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. We'll go over um, Frank Saravalli's uh, trade, new trade board. He just dropped Expanded. it. Expanded. Expanded. Bigger and better. Yeah, we've joked about how big can it be. I think it started 30 names. Then it went to 43 names. Frank Saravalli dropping it during the show. We'll go over to more. 50, the biggest trade board ever, 50 names. So I'm looking forward to reading uh, that one. And I, we, I know we're wrapping up. We should mention um, the Winnipeg Nightlife Awards are back. We won last year. Best podcast. Oh, that's right. They've had to change the, they've had to change the category after yeah. such a thorough win for WST last year. Yeah, so we won. I have the trophy. I'll have to bring it out. Um, but we won best podcast slash radio show, I think. So now they've they've made, split radio us up. station. We beat all the radio stations as oh, well. Yeah. That's why that one oh, was, it was so best sweet. station. Right? Yeah, we beat all the stations. So now at wnla.ca, you can vote for uh, best radio slash podcast host, and they've split us up. So we're going head to head. So Hus. Look, I know it's like in an election. Only- I think every, every, you're going to get all the votes. You're the, the you know the name here. So I don't know. I don't, don't vote know for me. Like vote me. for Hustler. Well, I listen. I think that what the, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to split split the Winnipeg sports yes. talk vote. So someone else will come in. Here. Anyways, that was a lot of there fun. You are. Like, we beat every right radio now. station last year, thanks to all of your support, and. Um, that's nice. Well, I'll vote for you just to, uh, I'll, I'll return I, the, uh, I'll I just voted for favor. you. Don't vote for me. WNLA, um, yeah. uh, dot CA. Um, what a, what a fun, fun run that was last year. Making it, making it happen. All right. We got to get these pods up. Everyone have an awesome night. Stay warm. Couple more days of this deep freeze, but uh, tomorrow we'll have a hot one. Downtown Winnipeg Jets and the Colorado Avalanche will be all over it tomorrow. We'll see you then, 1 p.m. on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Have a great night. Oh my God! Oh! Shut it down! Let's go! Home! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.